What's the thing that scares you the most? Confined spaces and uh, blood particles in the air, the dark, that coral thing that's been staring at me since I came in here. Chris, I'm scared to death. Welcome to the Sum of All Fear podcast, the show that examines real-life phobias and the horror movies that prey on them. So pour yourself something strong, Feardos, and let's find out what makes you afraid. Yeah, I think it may, may have been a little bit more cohesive. Right. I just, I don't know. But, you know, what do you do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, I got my coffee. I got mine too. In my Shark Week mug. It's. And there's a little bit of vodka in this Shirley Temple. Just a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. So I think we're ready to go. Are you ready to go? I don't know. My lackluster We're actually already is. going. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for telling me. Yeah. That's like the sneaky, we're not really recording yet. Let's talk like we're just. You candid know, recording. Candid recording. There you go. Welcome back, Feardos. Uh, we are the Sum of All Fear podcast, the show that talks about real life phobias from a mental health perspective and then pairs those fears with horror movies that prey on them. And I'm Drew, a writer and horror nerd, and this is my awesome wife, Chris, a professional mental health therapist. Hi, I do the thing. You do things. I do the thing. Sometimes I do some things. Yeah. Sometimes you do some things. You yeah. do lots of things. We do the thing together. Yeah. And you know what I heard, Chris? What? I heard we're being called the Ben Haskam and Beverly Marsh of podcasting. Ooh. We've oh. been up to our, we've been up, you know, and you know why, why that, that's why we're, why we're being called that? It's because I look so much like the guy that's playing the adult Ben in you the know, new movie. When we went to see like, it, I went, on. oh my God, that it's is. It's like looking into a mirror. It's uncanny. I have the exact same body type. <laughs> much my eyeballs in it. Hey, we're going to Hollywood, baby. Oh man, I know we are going to Hollywood next month. I couldn't stand it anymore. I've been, it's been such a crazy, uh, stressful summer that I made like the unilateral decision a couple days ago that I'm like, we're getting the fuck out of Dodge and we're taking a little vacation. So we decided to go down to <laughs> we, me, we, me decided, we gave us a couple of, <laughs> we gave a couple of options. There was a couple of options. <laughs> Although uh, out of the options, I would prefer to go down to LA. There's just, there's so much to do, especially during if, if the Halloween what kind of vacation you want. time you, of year. You got to have like, if you're going for like, if you just want to go sit in nature and like do nothing for a I few kind days, of wanted to which do I kind of wanted to do too, but, but it's also October right? and it's Halloween time. And I was like, where can we go for some great, Halloween horror stuff. You know, so one of my going to Halloween horror nights at Universal Studios. One of my um, staff members was talking about how they used to live in um, the town that Halloween Town was based on oh, from really? the movie. Oh. Um, I think it's uh, a little like it's not Salem West. I think it's a little west of um, Portland, oh, cool. Oregon. And uh, she said that they do Halloween crazy, hard crazy up there. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, we're, well, we're going to Halloween Horror Nights, which I've been wanting to go to for a few years. Um, and they've got some like killer mazes this year. Did you get the tickets? What's that? Did you get the tickets? I did get the tickets. Oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah, the tickets have been bought. Okay, um, I wanted to make sure that they we have got a Stranger them. Things themed maze this year. They have a, an Us uh, themed maze. They have Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which is apropos. Um, Ghostbusters. It's going to be super fun. Ghostbusters, House of a Thousand Corpses, Wolfman versus Frankenstein, Creepshow, The Walking Dead, um, and then they have a couple of original ones as well. So I'm excited. 
And we get to do at night, like the Jurassic Park ride. Yeah, they have some of the other rides open. And that's going to be badass. So it should be really fun. And then also Scream Fest is going on that week, um, which is a, a, a film festival that I've been wanting to kind of maybe check out when and I was that's down at, there. at Grom's, right? Chinese Theater? At, at the Chinese Theater, yeah. Well, I don't think it's called that anymore. It's Grumman's? Grumman's? Grom? Grom's? Grom's? I don't know. I don't know. Now it's called- like, I always just do like It's called Grom. like the TLC- center theater or something now it's not the, but the it's, minute it's the same minute one. made theater yeah something <laughs> exactly <laughs> u.s cellular theater sprint wireless theater yeah exactly <laughs> uh, went out last night and had a fun little watch party for it chapter two yes! so we are we are ready to go we have all of our it notes although i i have like a billion notes for it chapter one and it chapter two i'm like ah. Uh, I don't, You're I don't still trying remember. to digest it. It's hard to. It's hard the next day. To but we have together. we have watched it chapter one at least four times, if yeah. not more. And I've watched the miniseries like two or three times as well. So you so. know we have we have the second chapter a little fresh, but we're gonna really kind of dive in and and process it during this episode. Yeah, I, think. I think so. I think we're, we're going to get, you're going to get the fresh hot takes right here. Ooh, fresh hot takes. Fresh hot takes. Ooh, do I do, love do, do, fresh do. hot takes. Uh, last night we went out and had uh, our friends, um, uh, creature feature and Mr. Creature feature, Mr. Creature, um, Chris and Chris and, and uh, we and have so many Chris's. There was Chris, Chris and Chris last night. Oh my gosh. Three Chris's Jana and Drew. <laughs> <laughs> there were, the Chris's outnumbered the non Chris's. Yeah, no, we would yeah, take Metal over Chris the world. Was out last night with us as well. Yeah, and he brought me another freaking awesome he's present. He's always bringing me so like amazing. amazing he's like, so cool. thoughtful. He brought me uh, the 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 uh, the score from the movie Prevenge, which is on Shutter right now. We um, have to check that out. Uh, which I haven't gotten a chance to listen to yet, but I heard it's pretty awesome. It so looks insane. Yeah. But it was so much fun hanging out with the Feardos last night. We got seats at the uh, the old IMAX theater, and uh, someone brought their sick baby. Oh, yeah. What was up with that? <laughs> There's literally like a baby in there, and the baby is sick, and it's coughing. And it's an older baby, too. Like, yeah, not like, like a toddler. Like a toddler-esque. Yeah. Like, not walking, maybe. Who does that? But it was coughing and sneezing, like, wildly during the whole thing. And I'm like, first of all... The, it is very late Poor baby. for a child yeah, exactly. who is ill. And also it is very loud in here. Do not bring your babies to the movie theater. I'm sorry. Like you should, there's no, there's no reason to ever bring your baby to a movie theater. Like you can wait a couple years when that baby's old enough to go to a movie. Oh, well, before or then it'll just come out on VHS. Or you can get a babysitter. VHS. You can, you can get it'll come out on DVD. A VHS. I was looking, wait till it comes out I on VHS. I was looking at your VHS shirt. <laughs> you might be waiting a really long time. But wait for it until it comes out on VHS. I was looking at your VHS shirt. You have to get into a time machine and right. go back to 19... That's why they're like... You know what? Fuck this. I'm bringing my baby to the theater. I don't want to go back and get a VHS. That's right. It's going to take forever. Fuck. Going to movie theater. What a process. Um, no. Yeah, that was, that was weird. I don't like it. But otherwise, we had a blast. Uh, they were giving out posters. We got special it cups that say, I love dairy. Although I really wish it would have said, um, like, I love beavers or something like that. Because that is the dairy <laughs> mascot. Sorry, they had those I love beaver hats. Yes. Yeah. I would If they would have given out those hats, that would have been the best thing ever. Yeah, that's my favorite line from it. Chapter one was when when he said, I have it written down exactly word for word. So let me find it so I don't screw it up because I will. Let's play I never a quick, remember these things. Let's play a quick game real quick. Let's play. How many times did we get up to go to the bathroom during it chapter two? I didn't get it one time. Me either. Yeah, we did really well. We did so good. We planned it well. Yeah, my favorite no, my favorite is when they're in Ben's room in it chapter in it chapter one and they're <laughs> looking at all the, the historical documents on the wall. 
And Ben says, you know, dairy started as a beaver trapping camp. <laughs> and Richie says, still is. Am I right, boys? Am I right, High boys? Five. High five. <laughs> <laughs> and Finn Wolfhard, I fucking adore that kid. He is He's really, amazing. Really he is so good. All right, guys. Well, um, if you like the show, uh, we would we need to get into our clowns here soon. I know um, we're, we're itchy. so many, we're so much, so much it to get into today. Um, if you like the show, we'd love to get to know you on social media. So come join the conversation at some of all fear podcast on Facebook um, and at some of all fear pod on Twitter and Instagram. And if the spirit does move you, you can support us on Patreon like our awesome friend uh, and Firdo uh, James from the Eek Channel podcast. Um, go and check it out. It's badass podcast and our friend Toby from McKinney, Texas. Oh, I do want to make a note. Eek Channel podcast. Um, they did a post this week about mental health. And I just wanted to give a big shout out to them because this world of horror can be very misunderstood. And, and the folks who really are into horror can be very misunderstood. But he spoke so candidly about his experience um, with just wrestling with his own stuff lately. And I just wanted, oh, that's awesome. I, I just see that. wanted to say that I appreciated that so much. And with Toby, Toby and her husband went to an clown boyfriend. I'm, not sure boyfriend? I'm sorry. Not. I, I, I'm not sure what the significant, status is, significant other that partner that attended with her. I don't, I don't know the story, but Toby uh, went to go see it at an all Clowns showing. All clowns showing. At you Alamo had Draft to House. go as a clown. Yeah, you had to dress as a clown to go, which I think is a really, really fun. So we have some idea. amazing feardos out there. That's right. So way to go, guys! And of course, um, we would love for you to go to your podcast apps right now, like pause the show, wander over to your podcast app, and give us a rating and review. It just takes like two seconds. It's like the quickest thing in the world. So hold on. All right, we paused. Do it now. Now? All right. Did you do it? And uh, and then if you do give us a, a, a rating, and we'll give you a shout out. And if you give us your address, we'll send you some stickers. Yeah, totally. So, And you can do that anyway. You know, you don't even have to like us. We'll just send you stickers anyway. Yeah, we can send you stickers and you can burn them if you want. Sure. That's fine. Sure. Whatever you want to do with them, we'll yeah, just send them to you. To the sticker god. Yeah. Oh, great sticker god. <laughs> <laughs> I bow to thee. <laughs> I will burn this terrible podcast stickers in front of you. Burn a terrible podcast. Burn. Um, are you ready? I'm ready to move on from all this rambling. Let's do it. All right. Well, it's time for the world's greatest Stephen King based trivia game. What the fear? say it now what the fear there you go okay you have to say it like that why don't you like me calling it the stephen king podcast well because or, sorry the stephen king podcast <laughs> should be called the stephen holy king podcast. shit we've had we've had like five episodes on just stephen king so maybe we should be called like the stephen king podcast well I there's mean, already like 20 of those out there though that's true that's true there are a lot by the way big shout out to uh uh the stephen king cast and the losers club i listened to a lot of those this week uh, good podcast. Check them out. Um, definitely have a lot of in-depth, way more in-depth and way more knowledgeable of the king uh, than uh -huh. I am. Uh -huh. um, sorry. So this is the Stephen King based no, trivia game this week because we switched it up. We decided to do something different. The What the Fear Stephen King edition. 
trivia game. Okay, what the and, fear Stephen King edition. And I'm running this show this week. You are. And so I'm going to give you basically a trivia question about Stephen King's about movies. About the King himself. Uh-huh. About Stephen King's uh-huh. movies. I'm saying just to movies, movies, right? Stephen King movies. So you don't even have to go to the books. You don't even have to be that That's diehard. That's good I'm not that knowledgeable. I've known, I mean, I've read, I've read a good handful, but you know. But we'll see what you can do with this and we'll see what the folks at home playing along can do. With How many this questions knowledge. are we are we going three. through? Just three? Just three. Just three. Just three. Oh man. Just a little bit. All right. Little bit of Stephen King. I like King. trivia. I know. I but can I don't, trivia all day long. But I don't want to sit here and just beat you down and berate you. For my lack of knowledge. For your what lack if I, of yeah, knowledge. But if I, get all, I mean, what if you picked like really Dude, obscure stuff? I'd be super turned on if you got it all. Wow. All right. <laughs> you just lit up. That was so All right, funny. Let's go, Google. <laughs> I got a computer in front of me. Wow, that was like I'll secretly be typing. That was like Pavlov's salivating dogs right there. That's right. Conditioning. What? Uh, okay, are Blinky, you ready? Blinky. <laughs> um, Horror Virgin. Check it out. Horror Virgin. I okay, give me some Stephen King trivia. Okay, so your first one is what film features the taunting phrase? Chow down, wide load. What film features the taunting film, phrase? What film adaptation features the taunting phrase? Chow down, wide, wide load. load. Oh boy! Okay. We hear a lot of taunting phrases from it, right? I am going Hello, to say down here. Um, let's see. Let me let me before I answer just off the cuff because I have an I, I I have an answer that was in my head. I need to think about this for a second. Is it a, is it a, is it a pretty major Stephen King movie adaptation or is it like, was it made for TV? Was it, what, what are we talking here? I don't know. You don't know. <laughs> okay. Good hint. I'm not the movie person here. <laughs> you are the resident movie expert. Was this from a, and I, I, I'm guessing I can't ask you like the, the decade that the book came out either. Probably, Probably not. not. Okay. I've been concussed too many times in that area of my brain. I do poorly with dates. Chow down wide load. Gosh. Chow down wide load. Is this a horror movie? Uh, no, I'm serious. Duh. There's quite a few that are not horror. Did Stephen King make not horror? Lots of non-horror. What's not horror? What are you talking about? What is not horror? Uh, I mean, Shawshank. Shawshank uh, is horrible. That is the horror, horror of the jail system and um, and inequality. Uh, Stand by me isn't a horror. That is horror. That is the horrors of childhood. <laughs> it is all horror. Horror. You're a horror. You're a horror. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say thinner. Thinner. That was a good guess. And I was, or stand by me. I was hoping that you would guess thinner, uh, but it is really stand by me. Damn it. Stand by me was my second it guess. It is stand by and me. And that was the one that I first popped into my head. And then I was like, no, maybe it was. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say stand by me afterwards. You right did. afterwards. Like immediately afterwards. I, know. I was trying to give you two answers so I could get it right. I know, you that was pretty Peter. good though. That was pretty good. I'm actually pretty good. I had it as my second guess. No, that was really good. That There's a lot. And I liked your your pre-questions too. Your precursor questions. I liked that. Yeah. yeah. Even though you had no answers for no. them whatsoever. I just like saying... I don't, know. I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Try again. Okay. You're showing your true colors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number two, whose pinup poster does Andy Dufresne first put on his wall in Shawshank Redemption? Oh, 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 oh. Um, uh, so. <laughs> Very well known. It is. Uh, 
Sophia Loren. No. Hold on. I, I, I can get this. It is. Um, oh, man. Oh, what is her name? You can do it. You can do it, honey. I believe in you. Come on. Fuzzy Britches. Fuzzy Britches. That's what he calls her in the movie. What? She's wearing like a she's wearing like a loincloth type thing. What? What's Fuzzy Britches' name? Um, gosh, why can I not? Isabella? No. Um, gosh, it's something like that though, isn't it? Isabel? Not Isabella. Someone say Isabella Rossellini, but that's not right. Is it? Why are you looking at me? <laughs> I'm not going to tell. I'm pup 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 uh, poker face pup pup poker I can't, face. I can't think of it right now. It just slipped my mind. Okay. I had it like right there, and then it when away. I say it, it's you're Italian, gonna... right? Or is it Anne Margaret? Maybe. It's not Anne Margaret, is it? No, that one wouldn't be construed as maybe Italian. Oh, okay. Who is it? Raquel Welch. Raquel Welch. Damn it. And that's why only Raquel. I'm like, may, like maybe that could be construed no, as. No, I was for some but... reason I, I had Sophia Loren stuck in my head. No. Nope. Okay. Bummer. All right, you can read Fuzzy Britches. I'm pretty sure that's what he calls Fuzzy her. Fuzzy Britches. That was the best. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, your third and final one is a multi-parter. Multi-parter. Are you, re- are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Name as many movies as you can that take place in Castle Rock. Ooh. Um, in Castle Rock? In Castle Rock. Um, needful Things? Yes. Um. Oh boy, Shawshank. There's, there's six of them. Yes, Shawshank Redemption. Um. Okay, Needful Things, or Shawshank. Uh. Um. Cujo. Yes. That's three. Um. Uh, boy. Any hints? No. No? You're not going to give me any hints at all? No. Wow. I gave you hints for phobias. Don't you like, give me any hints? I can't, like, uh, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to say? I haven't seen, like, half of these. <laughs> you can't, so you can't, and I don't even you, know, you like. You can't give me hints because you don't know what they are? Yeah. Well, and, like, one of them would be super obvious. The other ones, I'm like, it's a thing, but um, I've never seen it. Gosh, okay. the other one is super. Ob- place in the other Rock. one is super obvious. Super obvious. Like a big, a bigger, more familiar. More familiar. Yeah. So we got Shawshank, right? Needful Things, mm-hmm. Cujo. Mm-hmm. Uh, would I get another one? There's three more. No. There's three more. Oh boy. Um, boy, everybody likes this like dead air in between answering questions. Yeah, I know. But you know, what are you gonna do? What are we gonna do? They're all answering along with you. I know they're screaming. They're screaming at, you. At, at me. What the fuck, man? Um. Oh man. Uh, I mean, you could just say uncle. It's yeah. not. Uh, pet cemetery. No. Yeah, because that. And I could just dominate. Yeah, I'm gonna you. go. I'm gonna go, uncle. I'll, I'll go uncle? uncle. Yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah. I mean, I, mean right. I don't want to keep us going here forever and ever. So you are missing. Stand by me. Damn it. Dead zone. Yep. And the dark half. And I knew all those. So every single one of those. And actually it's, it's what's funny is those are, I I've never, well, Sam, I mean, came from uh, 
a short story, but right. Uh, but I've read the dark half and I've read the dead zone. See, I've not read either of those. I could not bring, I could not bring those. those I could not tell you what those are about. I would do horribly on this. Needful Things is one of my favorite. Yeah. It's a pretty good one, but well, pretty good job on the, what the fear Stephen King edition. You said it was a two part question. No, I said it was a multi-part answer. Multi-part answer. Oh man, I wanted another question. It is a multi-part answer. <laughs> and you say answered some parts. So we're 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 diving into our Stephen King uh based part of this uh phobia, which we're doing this is part two, part two of uh cholrophobia, which is the fear two. of fear of clowns. Um we've just been up to our we've been up to our fear balls in in clowns. Her black fuzzy little fear balls. Yeah. Um, but we are going to do a phobia section, right? You have some other things you want to talk about with the phobia itself for a little while before we get into Stephen King. Yeah. There's some stuff that we could explore. I mean, there's always deeper that we could go into these things. And so today we'll talk about um, some stuff that I heard from a really great podcast called American Hysteria um, during an episode six uh, titled Clown Panic. Or <laughs> They're going to say Clown Panties. Clown panties. Falling off our, our clown sex. Our there sex you go. You, theme from last there week. you are just being a sex clown. Dude, you said clown and, and panic and panties are very close. <laughs> Don't look at me like I'm some sort of pervert. All right. You are. Gosh. You're not some sort of. Whatever. <laughs> so let's get into it. All right. We're going to dive into our phobia for today, which is part two of Cholrophobia, the fear of clowns. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. People hate clowns now. I hate clowns. I don't like chicken, and I hate clowns. I hate that clown. What the hell is wrong with you? Oh. I hate clowns. Clowns! I hate clowns! Why, why are you yelling at me? Whatever, make me a bicycle clown! I'm Krusty the Clown, and I don't like you. Hey, clown, clown. Clowns. 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 <laughs> Except clowns. Not much anymore. Except clowns, but that's just common sense. Well, I'm Pennywise. Dancing clown. <laughs> What's the matter, kid? Don't you like clowns? Why? Don't we make you laugh? Aren't we fucking funny? You best come up with an answer, because I'm going to come back here and check on you and your mama. If you ain't got a reason why you hate clowns, I'm going to kill your whole fucking family. But where are the clowns? Send in the clowns. All right. Are you ready to talk a little bit about this uh, this phobia a little bit more? Because we we dive we we dove into it last last week, and there is so much about the fear of clowns out in the world. Um, let's let's dig a little bit more into it. Well, and this week I don't want to touch so much on the phobia itself, but more of the effect that clowns have had over, let's say, the last sixty years. Um, on society at large and how our perceptions of clowns have morphed over time and why that is so um, so pivotal when it comes to nowadays when we're re-watching these things and, and things like it are coming back at again, why these concepts are, are still so terrifying to us. Well, and then you're going to dive into, once we get into the books, we're going to talk about the book, we're going to talk about the miniseries, we're going to talk about the movies, the new movies. 
um, you're going to dive into a lot of the psychology behind that, those particular, th- absolutely uh, uh, that particular franchise too, quite a bit. So, um, so what do you got for us? Well, the impact of clowns really um, hit its kind of height in the 1960s. We saw Bozo kind of hitting his top peak. Um, there was almost a 10-year wait for Bozo's shows in the 1960s. To actually go and be a guest on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and many uh, companies used clowns as branding in the 60s and 70s. So we see McDonald's. Um, you know, we just, we see the use of clowns in advertising so as a positive, much. As, as like a, a positive thing. Like they're, they're, here's, the clowns are happy and they're, they're sweet and they're nice and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're kids love them. So let's, let's use them in our branding. Right. And which we talked about a little bit last week. We talked about that history. Exactly. And even when we look at like psychology, uh, Carl Jung, um, the, the jester is one of Carl Jung's archetypes or kind of categories of symbolism that stretch across times and culture. So the, these recurrences that we see despite any sort of distance or generation, um, it's like the, the society's collective unconscious almost. And so this archetype, um, of the jester, the fool, um, made the clowns actually sacred from this archetypal perspective. They were the ones that helped society uh, vent their anxieties about things that were incredibly terrifying or stressful or saddening. And it actually brought people together um, as a group collectively. It's a way to like get over tragedy. It's a way to get over um, as a, as a society, it's an archetype of those things that, that we use to help us get through things, right? And to mourn or whatever by bringing levity. Right. And that's such a powerful tool for clowns to have played or clowns or jesters or whatever you want to call them. I'm going to call them clowns for this just now. Um, but for a clown to play that role um, emotionally during some really taxing times. I mean, at funerals in ancient Greece, there were professional roasters that got hired and came to the dead's funeral and let the community, you know, and mimicked and mocked the dead, mocked right, the dead and made jokes about the dead and, and let Roasted the, the dead, let the community and the mourners vent the anxiety ab- about death, which and I, about, I, I want it to be known right now. Like when she was studying this earlier and told me about this, she, she said this was how she wants to be, uh, mourn Please. when she dies. So Consider just, this is it right here. Take this to our lawyers when I pass away and, and be just like, say, this is evidence. This is evidence of what she wants. She I, wants to be roasted. I want to be roasted by like Anthony Jezelnik <laughs> or something. Yeah, my, what, so, your friends aren't good enough. We can't no, roast my you. Friends too. Whatever dude. I want to roast you. But um, I would maybe he can host. Yeah, he'll host. Um, but they we'll get it on Comedy Central. Don't you worry. By that time, this podcast is going to be so huge. It's going to be an international <laughs> it's affair. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. And so we're going to have mourners from all over the world. And so we'll just have we'll have Comedy Central roast your funeral. Yes, that'd be awesome. Comedy Central roast and we'll have colon, an open, we'll have your open funeral. casket. It'd be the first open casket on Comedy Central. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I like it. Absolutely. Prop me up and then like <laughs> beside the jukebox. If I die. Yeah, put Sorry. me in compromising situations and poses. That would be great. Um, but seriously <laughs> though, like like think about how valuable it would be and how cathartic it would be for your family and your friends and your loved ones at your funeral to to hear kind of the raw truth or kind of 
these things about you that maybe everybody has kind of been thinking collectively, but no one has ever said, and they're kind of allowed to, you know, they're kind of allowed to be the ultimate contrarian, which so vulnerable, uh, about something that's much bigger than yourself. Right. So there's, you know, the personal clowns and then there's the clowns that kind of reflect on society. And we see a lot of that theme in it. Well, it's kind of what a comedian is too. Right? Exactly. Like a comedian plays that, that role as well, which is, which is, you know, when you're behind a microphone or you're behind a mask. a mask or you're behind makeup, you have the ability to say and do things that other people can't do. Right. And and you serve a purpose to other people, which is, wow, I we all recognize the lines that he's crossing. And that actually reinforces societal norms. Like, oh, okay, we all understand that that's the wrong thing to do here, right? Okay, that was a, that was a weird thing. Okay, move on. That's funny. That's kind of the role that they play. And um, yes, no, clown, you're not supposed to grab that woman's breasts. No, like, but clowns. We understand that's so, but clowns can do it. Because they can have like a ball so in okay. their pocket and then be like, hur, 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 you know, and, and then, then people funny. laugh. Ha ha. It's not, you know, uh, assault. Um, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, you hear that clowns? No, I'm not endorsing clown sexual assault. Um, sex, but clown. sex clowns. Sex clowns. There's a very interesting sex clowns website too. Just don't Google it. Oh man, there was a great article you sent me. Yeah, I sent you some great stuff. Great article but, about a sex clown. Um, more about kind of the role of this jester um, in in all kinds of cultures, Native Americans, the Hyoka, they had, that was their clown. It was kind of, he was actually considered to be one of the wisest people in, in the group because he kind of saw everything and then framed it in a way that everyone saw it. And it was simultaneously, um, a little bit line crossing, but also very wise like pointing out things that might have been deeper than, you know, what anybody would be willing to risk to point out. Right. Because it, at risk of, of offending or a questioning of, the status quo, questioning something that's going on in, in, in their society. Or right. Was going on. So these just really interesting. Cause that's so true. Yeah. These gestures really play the role of, of questioning the status quo. You know, do, do we really want to be that clown? You know, they're very played up, but do we really want to reflect that in ourselves, in our everyday lives? Um, start calling comedians just clowns. Right. Make me a bicycle clown. Make me a bicycle clown. You know, their role largely before the 1970s was to ensure that the community examined itself and to keep us from being too complacent, to remind us that in easy and hard times, what is truly valuable hmm. in very interesting ways that, that humiliate and also humble us. And that kind of causes a little bit of anxiety, like, ah, we shouldn't be laughing right now. <laughs> but it also forces us to confront that feeling of anxiety, especially as they go further into, you know, their jesting. It's, it's, you know, one of the, pro one of the things going on in our culture right now is that there's a, there's a huge segment of society that doesn't like self-reflection. They don't like to look at the ugly things in culture and figure out ways to confront those things. They like to pretend like they don't exist right. or, or make them disappear. Um, but they're, they're there and we need to confront them. And this is whether one way, or not we like it, whether or not we like it. And, and this is one way that, 
that as a culture, we can confront those things in a big Absolutely. way. Absolutely. You know, we are, we're always, we're always hearing about a comedian that gets in trouble for saying the wrong thing. And, and honestly, every time that they do that, I'm like, I'm like sharing their stuff. Cause I'm like this, this person's the, that's the person I want to listen to because they're the ones who are crossing the lines. And when you cross the lines, you're making everybody stop. And, and discuss and the line. Absolutely. Is the line where it really should why be? Why is that line there? What's or the why is that line there? So it's it's a very important role in society. And the more and more we become censored or unable to express those uncomfortable things in society, the more and more divided we become as a society. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it completely divides us. This confronting of things that bother us and confronting of issues that are difficult, um, especially by the role of a jester, really allowed the community to come together as a collective whole and make decisions. Really interesting. What a great, so, what a great, like, I'd never, I'd never thought about that. I never thought about connecting those kind of dots to a, like what a clown does and what, what, what that kind of person serves and how that person serves society. Yeah. And now, I mean, unfortunately that's not the role that they, that clowns directly serve. And we can kind of relate that to um, a really funny clown named Gacy who kind of ended the era <laughs> of the lovable clown. Right. And we talked about Gacy last week. We all know right. who Gacy is and we know why, what, why did that, why did that kill it, it kind of killed the lovable clown in our conscience. But what I don't, what I don't think I expressed well or really understood until I kind of dived into it more, um, was kind of the the ramifications of his behavior were reflective of the moral panic that was occurring at the time. So we were seeing a lot of panic regarding homosexuality and HIV. We were seeing stranger danger panic. We were seeing the satanic panic during that time, and here came. A clown wearing, you know, small society member, guy that small was, child molesting and killing, also society member who owned a business well, who was teenagers, but well, whatever children. <laughs> um, and the the media really exploited his kind of juicy clown hobby, very pied pipery, you know, like like that's how he be scared. That's be how aware. he yeah. lured them in was because he was like this pied piper clown, but he he never killed. In his pogo form, it, no. that would be breaking although, the code. They do, they do think that he he did say that he put his clown costume on when he had people tied up, like in the house, to taunt them and do things to them. And, oh, gross! Because he would keep that. them for days sometimes, and you know. But then, like but then after that, the ramifications. Because I know that kind of stuff. Because yeah, it's weird. I'm weird. The ramifications of that was like this this phantom panic, this legend, um, especially in like April 1981. Um, where almost, well, virally back in 81, there was this, these reports of all these clowns and, uh, in towns and like hiding in bushes and chasing people with knives. And there was this clown panic yeah. really clowns soon without after. pants on. <gasps> there was a clowns without pants on report in, there was a sex clown report, uh, in a city park, you know, fun fact, um, not to take you off track real quick, but John Wayne Gacy used to pick up his victims across from my college. Oh, that's terrifying. There's a park right there that, uh, that actually we, we, we kindly referred to as gay park, Ooh, um, because there was a nice. lot of male prostitutes that that's, used to hang out there. That's very insensitive. Well, it was, true. it was, it was at the time. I know. <laughs> it was, it was accurate. I understand. But like, uh, but that was the reason why Gacy would go there because Gacy, you definitely had that, like that latent, you know, he had that, that, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Um, repressed, repressed. Thank you. Um, homosexuality. And that was one of the, you know, that was one of the, the things that fed this, this urge of his. And he even said that later on. 
For yeah. Sure. But then after Gacy, after this clown panic, we see the emergence of movies like Poltergeist and the 1986 book It, followed by the 1990s, you know, TV series. Um, and that in and of itself, those few years of um, high intensity hysterical panic about clowns and the perceptions of clowns changing. By 2008, we see a completely different view of clowns. And also a generational fear of the clown persona that really has informed our present notion of clowns. Yeah. I mean, our kids, like kids don't, don't now think of clowns in any way, but they're not inviting anymore. Creepy. They don't see them as like, Oh, a clown is a fun thing to go see. And I mean, not that they wouldn't go to a circus, they'd get freaked out, but they, they don't think of clowns in, in like, I'm going to sit around and invite, I'm going to have a clown for my birthday. Right. right. No. It uh, never happened. Now, our 11 year old who's obsessed with it right now, like he wants to watch the movie so bad. And I guess I, I'm probably going to let him watch it, I think, because he wants to see it so bad. Um, Dude, if he starts th screaming things that Trash Mouse screams that's like when he's on his Xbox, little, I'm like, little rough. fuck. But he's obsessed right now. Maybe he wants a clown for his birthday just for shits and giggles. That might be cool. Yeah. But I, and I that's, want a creepy clown for my birthday. And right now, like we are all the way that we we picture clowns, the information that we've been given on clowns is that they creep us out more than they are enjoyable mm -hmm. because they break social norms. They push limits. Um, and there's two things that really when when we think of things that creep us out, um, we think of things that force communities apart because communities are meant to be together for their safety, right? So the things that drive people apart, that creeps us out. Um, and the things that make us physically unsafe. So things that elicit the fear, um, flight, or freeze response. And our brain with clowns nowadays really wants to kind of assess the possible threat that they pose on us instead of seeing them as this joyful, um, knowledgeable, wise, uh, even perceptive, um, uh, mirror of society. So weird. Cause yeah, that's, that's totally not how they're viewed no. anymore. No. And, and, you know, and, and I mean, I think I always look at it in context. I mean, I think like you, like if you're a circus, you might be clowns in one way. If you're at a rodeo, you might be a clown in one way, but I think by and large, most people nowadays, they just think, they think, Scary of, clown. they think of Pennywise. They think of the, 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 the evil clown. Even McDonald's has phased out. Yeah. Ronald, Ronald McDonald's been pretty much gone. We talked about that. Last Ronald week. McDonald house is just a, just yeah, a, a silhouette, a silhouette yeah, because yeah. it's creepy. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about that last week, but that's how the, the advertisers aren't going to do. They're, they're not going to use a clown in their advertising. If they're advertising, you know, to kids or to, you know, it's not, it doesn't have the same response anymore. You know, Ronald McDonald House, it's like, oh, we're going to help the needy kids. Like, uh, we're going to make them shriek in horror as they, <laughs> as our mascot comes in the room. You know? We'll remind them what's truly terrifying in life. Mm-hmm. But so I, I just wanted to preface all of our discussion about it um, because I'm going to bring a lot of this background knowledge in into it and kind of how into it, into it and how it uses that to achieve its goals and purposes. Well, I think um, thank you for that. Sure. Um, that was fun. Yeah. And and I think go listen. It's to really interesting. It's really interesting that 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 how the cultural perspective of that and how that, that kind of relates to our modern day kind of jesters or comedians are go listen you know. to American hysteria. Um, they, a lot of my yeah, information just turned you there. That. Amazing last podcast. Night, right? Amazing. She just turned you on to that last yeah. night. Didn't she? Uh, very cool. So thank you creature for 
giving you a new podcast to listen to. Great job, As if you didn't need a new one already. I don't. You can never have too many podcasts. <laughs> um, well, let's. We are going to to really dig in. We know that this Stephen King it thing is a cultural phenomenon. Um, it has been for really for a couple of generations, but um, especially nowadays with the current yeah, circus the of politics. Come, oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> circus of politics right now. Yeah, um, but I think that the new movie. Uh, you know, the movie that came out in 2017 got just did fantastic. The re- the release that just came out this week um, had so much buzz around it. Uh, my generation, you know, anybody who grew up that was in there, you know, anyone, anybody from like their, you know, maybe late 20s to early 40s, this miniseries that came out in, in 1990 was a, a big deal. And my mom bought the book in 86 because it was sitting on our, you know, it was around the house for as far back as I can remember. So the book was there. I read the book in high school. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people, it was the first introduction to horror um, and is kind of the basis for a lot of our discussion about clowns for this evil clown stuff. And it really was the thing that took it to the culture. Absolutely. Outside of Pogo the Clown and John Wayne Gacy and all that stuff, Stephen King's It was the thing. Now, last week we talked about Killer Clowns from Outer Space and we talked about Terrifier. Terrifier and there are so many other clown movies out there. What was um, the one that you watched recently? Well, I, I'll I'll go ahead and talk about it now. Um, I was going to wait until the next segment, but um, we'll just dive into It in the next segment. But I did want to mention this one because it was so fucking good that uh, I didn't, I had never seen it before. And it's a movie from 2012 called Stitches. It is on, it was on Netflix, right? Yeah. It's on Netflix right now, but it's an Irish film. It is amazing. It's funny. It's freaking body horror, gory, um, great gore, good use of CGI, like really fun use of CGI. Clowns. Um, fantastic storyline about a clown, like a clown who gets killed by a bunch of kids uh, that comes back when they're in high school to, in, to, you know, inflict revenge, but it creates this whole mythos around clowns that like, it's the most unique story I've ever seen. And it's, and, and uses traditional clown stuff, like uses clown gags in the kills. So he's like blowing up dude's head, like, like a, like a, uh, a balloon. Like a balloon. Um, he's the red nose. He tosses his red nose out and it goes sniffing around for his victims. <laughs> um, he pulls a rabbit out of a dude's throat. That, that um, was rad. Stuff like that. I mean, it is just really smart and really well done. And I, an original unique, went straight up to the top of like my favorite clown movies. Like, nice. I don't know if it's like my favorite, my like very top, but it is right there, man. It is so good. So stitches 2012, check it out. I wanted to make sure I mentioned it because it was so deserving and I wish we had had a chance to kind of dive into it more. Maybe we will, you know, down the line somewhere, but um, we but give it two meaty fear balls, two big old meaty clackers, man. big old meaty clacker fear balls. <laughs> so, uh, but with that, we are going to go into our, our it talk. Um, so let's go into our, um, I guess we can call it honorable mention, but it's kind of, kind of all flowing together. So yeah. we're going to have the book. We're going to talk the mini series. We're going to talk the two new movies. Um, so let's talk our honorable mention. Uh, I guess the 1986 novel, uh, it. So I'm staring at a Funko Pop of Pennywise. 
and a, I don't know, blind box character, character Pennywise thing that you, where you get the mystery little figurine um, that I bought the other day. And it blows me away. What a phenomena this clown franchise is. is, right? I mean, we, and, and it really didn't become, uh, I think it need, I think we needed everybody who grew up in the eighties to become, get into their thirties to, for it to be like, Giant thing again. thing again, right? Because we had this. Do you find that weird? That no, we that, had this. We had this thing, right? This 1986 book that came out. So it came out when we were like five years old, or six years old, or seven, or whoever, you know, wherever we were born, or maybe just born, like you're, like in your case. And then we had the miniseries that came out in 1990. So we had these these two phenomena: the book, which most of us didn't find until we were in high school, you know, or junior high or high school. And we have the miniseries, which so many of us like, like watched with our family in 1990 as five-year-olds or 10-year-olds or whatever, however old we were, that introduced us to horror, right? That was our kinder trauma. That was our first introduction because it was accessible, Yeah. right? It was on TV. It was right there. Um, but I want to talk about those, those two things before we get into the new movies uh, because, you know, the book is Stephen King's magnum opus, you know, um, I, you've never read it. No. Uh, it's a daunting task. Yeah. I don't know that I have the patience. It's a daunting task. I mean, it's, it, it is, it's 1138 pages. It's, it's King's second longest book. Damn Gina. And it's less than 20 pages, uh, difference shorter. Yeah. Than the stand. So the stand is, is 1153. And King fans have always been kind of divided about this, right? They've always said you're either like a King, like a King it guy or a King. I prefer the stand or I prefer the King. It seems like that's not the King, the the two, the two camps, right? You're an it person or you're, you think the stand is his best, best book. Sure. Um, And I've always kind of leaned towards the stand, Uh, the stand. I read the stand around the same time that I read another book called Swan Song. I was really into apocalyptic. I love the apocalyptic <laughs> stuff. Um, so I really liked those books and they, they stuck out so much, but it was a, was right there too. I mean, I was reading all of those. I really had a glutton for punishment apparently in high school and I wanted to read 1200 page books. Um, do you find it odd that, um, the release of it, uh, kind of coincided with the release of, um, the, it, the newer version of it in 2017, that's, that's almost 27 years. Oh, I know. Right. That was, that was crazy. Yeah. I think that, and you know, what's funny is it was totally coincidental because they had been working on it for years and trying to get it like as a go, the new one. But, but I find that funny because it's the awesome. same theme of this childhood trauma that kind of follows us into adulthood right. now and we're reconfronting it as different people, but also the same people. You know, and, and King King himself called this book his his final exam on horror. That was his quote. Um, because it really is so vast and it encapsulates so much. And the book itself is not about, uh, you know, it's not a book about a clown. It's not a book about, it's, 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 it's a book, it's not a book about a clown. It's a book about fear. It's a book about friendship. Um, it's a book about the sins of the parents being visited upon their children, um, which is a very biblical concept. Generational um, trauma. Yeah, generational trauma. It's a book about loss of innocence. Um, you know, creativity, 
you know, from childhood to adulthood, all these, these loss of innocence, loss of creativity, all these things that are really interesting themes that we see pop up as just as people, you know, and I think this book encapsulates so many of those themes, which is why it's become so, so influential. He did a great job at making it a metaphor for a lot of things so that it really hits home aside from the fact that there is this creepy clown that chases some, some kids and then adults around, you know? Yeah. And, and so a couple of facts about this book. So it was written in, um, uh, 19, it was written from 1981 to 1985, which was smack dab in the middle of, of Stephen King's cocaine years. Oh, hey. So from 78 to 86 is what we're, we, why wasn't to it written the faster then? <laughs> he should have wrote it a lot faster. Well, oh, well, you know, yeah. While he was writing it, he was also writing Cujo, um, which he, he he says that he does not remember writing. By the way, he literally says, you "I do that? not remember writing Cujo." Don't you want to be that good at something? Where you're like, you like, I don't know. It sold millions of copies. I was so drunk and I never read it yet uh, that I barely I don't even remember writing it. Is but, it good? But you know, it sold, I saw the movie. It sold like ten million copies. I heard everybody hated the ending. <laughs> So he wrote during that, that time from 81 to 85, while he was writing, uh, it, he was, he released Cujo. He released the dark tower, uh, gunslinger, the first mm. book of the dark tower series. He released pet cemetery. It's a little book that some people have heard of. Nah. Um, Christine, another little book turned it's on your shirt. Um, it is. Oh yeah. That's it's right. on the very top. John Carpenter directed it. This is a John Carpenter, uh, movie a stack VHS shirt. shirt. Studio house designs. I think that's what it's called. Studio house. Um, it's a rad shirt. It has all of John Carpenter's books. Um, sorry, John Carpenter's movies stacked up like VHS on top of each other. Um, uh, very cool. Yeah. Christine is one of them. Um, the talisman was another one and the cycle of the werewolf. So he, during this time that he's writing this 1200 page, you know, tome about this, clown and all this crazy shit going on. He's also publishing all this other stuff at the same time. He's very productive. Ridiculous. Cocaine, a hell of a drug. If you want to be successful oh, as a no. writer and a prolific writer, you need to have a cocaine years. No, don't do that. No, no. Is that not, should I not no, be promoting that? No, that's not, that's not healthy. I'm a writer. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I know trying you're trying to, to find trying yourself, to find my, myself, my, <laughs> but let's not go down the like Scarface path. I'm going to go uh, mounds of cocaine to get no. better at my writing. No, no, no. Damn it. For some reason, I feel like it will just be more disjointed. So, so hey, have you read this book? No, I know. It's like 85 or not 85. It's like 50s and then 80s and then 50s and then 80s. And then turtles. And, and then, then, and, then <laughs> and, and then, you know, Indians, and Native then, Americans, and, and then, then in the 1800s. And then crazy the crawling fortune cookies. And yeah. Yeah, this, there was a lot of drugs what? mixed into this. Um, so if you want to be successful, do drugs. No. Come on. That's not going to be a I good movement. Can I just have my public service announcement? <laughs> do I'm speaking do do do. to writers. Um, do you know what King's inspiration was for this, though? No. Um, his coke-fueled uh, uh, inspiration Oh, was, I can only imagine. <laughs> he was, he was uh, walking across a bridge, and he thought of the Norwegian fairy tale, uh, three as one does, as one does the three Billy goats gruff, which, uh, Norwegian fairy tale that deals with the, a troll under a bridge. Um, which I remember reading as a kid. I don't remember what it was about though. There was a troll under a bridge and three Billy goats gruff had to come and they had to pass. And, and the troll said, you can't pass until you, you know, until you pay the troll toll to get troll. through this. Boy's hole. <laughs> 
gotta pay the troll toll if you want to get, get to, to the boys hole. Damn it, that just relates so much <laughs> to some the weird shit in this book, right? Um, <laughs> damn it. Sorry. <laughs> Remember, this is the second time we've we've recorded this section too because we've we we're we're both a little bit sick, so we're both like in this weird fuzzy world. It's pretty hazy. Um, <laughs> you got sick head. So. Uh, but yeah, he saw he saw the bridge and thought like, man, this would be a great time to write a alien entity takes over a town and lives underneath it in the sewers book. Oh, um, why not? And oh, by the way, he's also a clown or likes to show himself as a clown. Well, I mean, yeah, Gacy wasn't that much after that. So or before that, I should say. Well, yeah. But, you know, he says Gacy wasn't an inspiration. He has actually said that it was not an inspiration. It's got to be in there somewhere, though. I mean, he said he was most inspired by Bozo. Um, and, uh, the clown from Howdy Doody, which was Clarabelle and Clarabelle, look up Clarabelle. Clarabelle is a very creepy clown. That was <laughs> Howdy Doody's like, like sidekick or mute partner didn't talk. Um, and that's who he got the inspiration. Interesting. Of Pennywise from those two clowns kind of meshed them together. And then Excuse added me. Coke. Well, you know, it was interesting too. And, and when Pennywise in the book first introduces himself, uh, to, uh, Georgie, right? He's in the sewer. Georgie comes and he's just, you know, hi Georgie, you know, all that stuff. He says, he doesn't just say like in the, in the movies, it's just, hi, I'm Pennywise the clown, you know, Pennywise the dancing clown. Um, in the book, he says, my name is Mr. Bob Gray, otherwise known as Pennywise the dancing clown, which I was like, where the hell? Like, that's a weird thing. Like who is this Bob Gray? Well, the theory is, and I, I didn't look into this super, super deep. I might've it might be wrong. And again, if you're a Stephen King nut, I let us know, let us know we're wrong. Cause I will be wrong on lots of stuff. I'm not a expert on any of these topics. Um, just so you know, not an expert, um, but Robert Gray was a, was another, uh, was an alias that was used by, uh, see if I wrote this down here. Yeah. Robert Gray was used several times in the novel. Um, and this might be an allusion to real life child cannibal. Um, one of my favorite cannibals of all time, uh, Mr. Albert fish. Oh yeah. He's uh, a top five cannibal. He's a top five cannibal at least for sure. Um, because he used that as one of his aliases apparently, Wow, which is really creepy. Uh, That's but like it an- makes sense because Pennywise eats children. Albert fish ate children. Oh, Hey, yeah. he also printed some recipes about how to cook your children. Albert fish did, didn't he? Yeah. 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 They're like, like, until the buttocks is, you That's know, right. <laughs> fully, uh, fully cooked through and juicy white. Yes. It's like it was super creepy. Right. Um, uh, like, uh, what was it? What was the last podcast on the left said, uh, uh, what was the word they used for, for like, for like balls and penises? Do you remember genitalia? Oh my gosh. It was the funniest thing ever. Gosh. Well, listen to the last podcast on the left, uh, episode of Albert fish. Cause it, it's quite entertaining for being about a child cannibal. A child murderer um, who well ate, they do uh, they do lighten things up. Um, <laughs> Peewees and oh, do you remember what it was? No. Oh oh it's um monkeys and peewees. <laughs> monkeys and peewees. Give me some of those monkeys and peewees. Is that what it was? Yes. <laughs> it's hor- No, it is. It's peewees and monkeys. Oh. It's so weird and so, gross. So, anyways, so creepy. that was that was so the book um, was based on that. The setting of the book was Dairy Maine, uh, which is based on Banger Maine, uh-huh. um, where 
kind of he had I guess he, he decided it was a good working class town that you know just kind of fit what he was looking for um, for the setting of this book. Um, you were saying that there was there's been a big it celebration there this week. Yeah, from the Box of Oddities podcast, they're actually they live in Banger, and they were saying that they have Bangor? this. Do they call it Banger? Banger? I don't know. What do they? How do they refer to it? Bang, as? Banger. I've heard Bangor. Bang, banger. Banger. Bangor. I don't know. I'll have to listen more closely. I mean, I've always time. heard it called Banger, Maine, because destination Banger, Maine. <laughs> worn out old suit and shoes. I don't pay no union dues. Uh, Perfect. King of the road. King um, of the road. I guess you're wondering. <laughs> oh, we were all wondering. Um, no, I and they so they live in Banger, and um, they said that in the days leading up to the premiere, um, people or uh, probably advertisers for the movie have gone around Banger and done some like really creepy things, like tie a red balloon to a storm drain grate, oh, and um, so you know left like little yellow boats around and gutter drains. Oh, and that'd be so all much kinds fun. of stuff like that. that. So really kind of made it. Um, well, he lives there too, doesn't he? He lives somewhere nearby, and somewhere wasn't the he area, there at the premiere there? Or something. Yeah, I think he was at the the premiere in, in, there in, in town, and and you know. Just, just hanging just out, hanging, talking to the audience, and, and giving a little talk before the movie came on. Uh, and his cameo in the movie was great. We have, we'll, it was great. We'll get there. Um, Everybody hated the ending, but so <laughs> it's a self-referential. Um, so anyway, so that's the that's the book, um, and the book came out, and it was a big phenomenon. Everybody read it. Um, but let's dive into the first adaptation of this book, uh, which came out in 1990, and that was the miniseries of Stephen King's It. Why are you guys anyway? We're sort of a club. Yeah, the Losers Club. You... Want in? Yeah, I do. Hey, we're seven now. Lucky seven. I want to kill it. I just want to forget about it. It's not just us. It's all the other kids, too. Who's going to be next? It kills kids, damn it. You killed my brother George, you bastard. Let's see you now. Maybe it's the water. The water? Maybe it's the sewer. Hi, Georgie. <laughs> You're not real! Was it Pennywise? Big white guy, red nose, about 75 feet tall, mouth full of razor sharp teeth. You smell that? That's death. Losers fight it. Losers die. Oh, 
And see, everybody saw this when they were young, and I I never saw it when I was young. You were you were deprived. I, I mean, I had like like maybe snippets of it, you know, if it was on like a rerun somewhere, maybe I passed by it, but it always just didn't interest me. I wasn't I was like, nah, I'm good. And I would pass it up. So I, I didn't really get introduced to did it. Did you not until like clowns? Was this or did you just not think it was worth your time? Uh both. Like one of those, like, what would I rather be doing with my time right now? Well, I remember, and this, this is the same way with the stand. I, I don't know if we just watched a shit ton of TV when I was a kid. We must've, because <laughs> yes, I like don't remember missing children. any major, I don't remember missing any major events when it comes to television that everybody references like, Oh my gosh, like, do you remember that thing? Like, yeah, I totally saw I watched, it. Yeah. I watched all of those. So, wow. so when this came out, we watched it as a family and I remember it very well because I was, you know, nine years old. So I was like the perfect age, ripe age, perfect age for, for this kind of thing, you know, and, and a rewatch of it, it's dated, <laughs> you know, it's super Bill's ponytail, a little cheesy, Bill's, Bill's ponytail is a little rough. Um, you know, some of the special effects are a little, a little rough, but some it's, of the music montages, some of the are, music a montages are a little rough. Um, but at the same time you have to put it in context. Right. And, and I still love it. I still love, uh, what it did with, for everybody to kind of introduce them to this, this story. It was directed by Tommy Lee Wallace who did the much maligned uh, Halloween three, which has now become uh, a major cult classic. Like it's everybody. It's almost like some people's favorite Halloween movie now, even though it has nothing to do with Michael Absolutely Myers. nothing. Um, and I love it too. Uh, you know, six more days till Halloween, 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 Halloween. Um, which is great season of the witch. And then uh, he also directed Fright Night two, um, which I, can say that I have never seen, but I actually did. You buy it? I have it. <laughs> yeah, I think you I bought, bought it, it last week. Nice. In the uh, I, I go to the used bookstore and, if, and they know, have DVDs. They have DVDs for, for like great prices. Three for like ten bucks, and like if I see something I might want to check out, I grab it. Um, and he also edited the original Halloween and the original Fog, which is also nice. On my, on my Both shirt. of them. Yeah, those are on my shirt. Oh, my Halloween's on my shirt. Yeah. Too. Um, but it was starring Tim Curry, which. You cannot fucking go wrong Icon. with Tim Curry. He Tim looks Curry so good in makeup. Amazing. And you know what's funny? One of the things he said when he got this role was he told them that he did not want to do uh, a lot of makeup. Whoops. And he was like no. in makeup the whole the time. The entire time. The whole time and and like long like process of oh, putting yeah. makeup on and all that stuff. Um, it also starred Harry Anderson, who was a fantastic comedian um, who passed away not too long ago. Um, and I, I always remember him because he was on night court, mm -hmm. the show night court. Um, and I, I really liked that show. I was like, I was a big sitcom kid. I like watched every sitcom. You watched everything. I watched everything. I really did. I was like Mikey TV from fucking, Oh no. From, from uh, uh, Willy Wonka <laughs> and the chocolate factory. You would be Mikey. <laughs> Wasn't it Mikey? That was, yeah. Show, right? Um, I seen everything. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. I know every commercial, every, every yeah. jingle. Uh, but Harry Anderson, the thing I also remember is my parents, one of their best friends used to, used to manage, uh, the, I can't remember if it's the comedy store or the laugh factory, but one of the big LA comedy places. And they said, always said that their favorite person was Harry Anderson. Aww. He was the nicest person. He was the sweetest to the staff. He tipped them the best. He was one of the nicest people. Um, and that Jay Leno was a giant asshole. And, and that David Letterman was very nice. Oh, um, good to know. Yeah. So there you go. Um, and then it also starred uh, John Ritter, who right. again, 
died way too young and way early and very tragically. Wasn't he known in Hollywood for being very kind as well? Also very kind. Yeah. Another person that people always used to heap praise on as being just a really sweet person, really good person. Um, obviously Three's Company, you know, right. we know Problem Child, all those things that we saw him in growing up. He was a great um, dad. And then the kids, you know, had had the kids in the movie. Um, you had Jonathan Brandis, who was kind of a, a, a teeny bop star that was on the front cover of a lot of like Tiger Beat magazine and shit like that. Um, who also died very tragically. Um, him and I'm John seeing Ritter, a connection. Him and John Ritter both played Bill, um, and they both died in 2003, uh, which is which. And Jonathan Brandis committed suicide, hung himself oh in my God. in his uh, uh, apartment stairwell. Oh no! Like right, like out outside of his apartment, which is really crazy. Oh my gosh! Uh, very sad. Very tragic. Um, and then Seth Green played Richie. Um, and so weird. That guy went on to do nothing else. All I can, um, I, all I can hear is Robot Chicken. Every voice on Robot every Chicken. Every voice. Um, so so it, it had a really interesting cast. Um, and I think they did a really good job, especially for the time, you know, for when it came out. Uh, and again, it, it was one of those those miniseries that just stuck in everybody's head. Um, and it, it, it was Left not, a lasting impact. We watched it today. And I had already watched it once this week. So I've watched it twice this week. So I've gone through six hours of the 1990 miniseries. This week. And it's like we said, it's definitely dated, um, but it deals with, it deals with the, the, it manages to tiptoe around the material uh, really well. And I think it, for the time it came out, it, it dealt with some stuff head on the racial stuff and some of those things It kind of dealt with those things kind of head on. They were also um, relevant to the time. Absolutely. Um, and, but it also, but it, it, it obviously excluded some things that probably could have been in that. I think the new movies brought in uh, a little bit better. were able because of the time, because, of because the it time. was a made for TV movie in prime time that they, right. couldn't, they couldn't exactly, you know, have Richie talking about Dick size and, you know, making the jokes he was what? making and all that kind of stuff. And the, the, the doing language. your mom, um, it, it did the best it could for, for the time that it came out. Um, oh, like one thing I kind of had on the little head the very there. beginning of the movie um, is a scene that's not even in the book. So the, the little girl mm-hmm. uh, and she's driving her little, her little tricycle. Yeah. But one thing I noticed that I'd never noticed before was that she, it's raining out. Right. And she's singing the itsy bitsy spider went up the water spout. It ends obviously with down came the rain, but it ends with, 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 you know, the creature turning into a spider, spider, which is kind of, it's gross. It's it's like, they they call that like, like his, um, his natural form or whatever is the spider. They think that that's like the, the, that's when he's showing his true self. It's the spider form, right? Uh, we know how much you love spiders. No, but I thought that was a really nice touch, um, that I had never noticed before. She was singing that as before she got murdered. Um, and then it covers the cops, like covering up the disappearances and that stuff in the beginning of that as well, which didn't really get into much in the, in the new movies. It was all. much more popular in the nineties to cover up for <laughs> cops than, I mean, it's still popular nowadays. But. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to break down the storyline at all. Cause we're going to get so deep. We're going to get so gonna get deep. So deep. We're going to get fear balls deep. deep. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> fear balls deep into this story. Um, but I did want to mention these two things, the book and the miniseries are what really inspired all of 
the, these, these remakes. It's what so, made these remakes And possible. what made my childhood. Oh. You know? um, I still, when I still, when I picture the, the scene with Georgie, I still see Tim Curry's face. And Tim Curry did such an excellent job as, as, as Pennywise. Um, and he was very traditional clown. Right. Which what's funny is, I don't think traditional clown would have worked in the new movie. No, I don't think so Because either. nobody thinks of traditional clown. They just think of scary clown. Right. So they don't think Bozo anymore. So Bozo can't be the, the basis for the clown. It has to be something else. Right. Otherwise, it's too comical. Yeah, And exactly. you won't take it seriously. But he also wants to be disarming enough to where you kind of second guess yourself like, Oh, but, but yeah, but it's a, it's a clown, right? Like they're good. And Tim Curry just does a, a bang up job. Like just so good. He looks everything so good everything that, that Tim Curry does is, is amazing. And, and he's such an icon and you know, it's sad. He's, he's kind of in deteriorating health these days. Um, I think I was in a wheelchair. I think he had a, Oh, poor guy. Pretty sure he had a stroke. I think a, a number of years ago. Wow. Um, but he did so many cool, you know, so many amazing characters, that such an just, icon that just like, were the characters that we remember from, you know, from, from being a kid. Um, but let's, let's dive into what everybody has been watching this week, um, which is our remakes are, what do you want to call the them? new chapters, the new chapters, the, it, the, the new chapters, the modern, modern movies. chapters. Um, so we'll start with, uh, we'll start with chapter one because we want to dive into this one first. Uh, so let's uh, let's roll the trailer on 2017's It Chapter One. When you're a kid, you think the universe revolves around you. You think that you'll always be protected and cared for. Then, one day, you realize that's not true. Because when you're alone as a kid, the monsters see you as weaker. You don't even know they're getting closer. Until it's too late. grandfather thinks this town is cursed. That all the bad things that happen in this town are because of one thing. An evil thing. Bill, if you will come with me, you will float too. I saw something. A clown. Yeah, I saw him too. So too. What happens when another Georgie goes missing? Or one of us? Are you just gonna pretend it isn't happening like everyone else in this town? If we stick together, we win.
So 2017's It Chapter One was where we got started on these these remakes a couple years ago. And you had not seen it until recently. Right. right? Like this a, a, week. Few, a few weeks ago. Well, a few weeks ago, I showed it to you for the first time. Right. We were like, okay, we're doing Fear of Clowns. You got to watch it. How have you not watched it yet? Like, um, and I went and saw it in the theater, I think. Yeah. Um, who did I go with? I don't even remember. How did you not go with me? I don't know. I think you went by yourself, maybe. I might have, actually. Yeah. Um, but so you had just seen it for the first time. And you fucking loved it. Oh, I feel like they slam dunked the butt fucking brains wow. Wow. out of Whoa. the first Hello. chapter. Jeez. <laughs> Language. I'm Like, I can't describe how good I, I felt like the first one was. You were a big fan. I was a really, really big fan. So 2017, we got this, 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 uh, uh, this part one uh, directed by Andy Muschietti um, where we mostly focused on, in fact, we completely focused on the, the kids, the kiddos. So yeah. the book is, it goes back and forth. So the book goes kids, adults, kids, adults, kids, adults. And we have all these, and we have little side stories that come up, you know, and little side characters. Um, like there's a lot about the bully Patrick. There's a bunch about uh, the pharmacist's some, daughter. Yeah. I mean, various characters pop up and they have longer, segments in the book but mostly it goes kids adults kids adults so the, the whole thing so the, the big battles at the end against against it the creature um happen at the end of the book for both the kids and oh, the oh wow and the adults. that's weird so for us though watching the movies if you haven't read the book you're getting this stuff that happened as the kids it's chronologically right and then we see and then the second one is going into what happened as the adults sure um, although a lot more flashing back to the kids then probably should have, should have taken place. Well, and I love how, how this one did do that because it really emphasizes the beginnings of fear, kind of the roots of fear where, where it starts, what it, what it does once it gets implanted into our psyches. Well, let's break down. Cause I want you to talk about everybody's fear in this book. Cause you have kind of a good psychological perspective on each individual character. Um, the book, the movie starts out with, you know, Bill is sick. He's up in his bedroom. He doesn't want to go outside and play with Georgie. Um, and Georgie wants to go play with his little toy boat. Right. So Bill helps him, you know, make it, but he's like, nah, yeah, I'm not going to go seal outside. It up. I'm not going to go outside. We've all seen this scene, right? And Georgie opens the basement door, goes down and gets all the stuff that he needs to make his boat and then goes and runs outside and he's all excited in his little yellow slicker and, Let's the boat go down the gutter and then it goes down. The, then he, then he face plants into the, in the movie. He face plants into Ow. the, uh, there's some schadenfreude there. I don't know why. Like, it's just like kid going, I think it was, I think it was on the horror virgin that somebody was like, I really thought that was hilarious. Like him just, just hitting that, that caution. It was so unexpected. And I, I wonder <laughs> like, why and I, now I can't watch it without laughing at that. Now. Uh, but I, I just, didn't even think about it the first time. I wonder what the purpose of that was because I mean, it, it served a function or well, no, else he that, that's how he didn't catch up to the boat. Oh, cause that's, yeah, yeah if, that's right. He hit that. And that's what delayed, you know, he made him running late. after the boat and it made him not be able to grab it before okay. it went down in the sewer. Okay. Okay. So then he goes and, and he, and he meets, Pennywise, right? Pennywise, oh, I'm Pennywise the Dancing Clown. And they start chatting. And but it's really interesting. Uh, when you first see Pennywise here, his eyes are yellow. Um, as he begins talking to Georgie, his eyes transfer to blue, which is actually uh, Bill's eye color. So it's changing, but it's changing from 
something alien to, to something, something more familiar, human, right? Because that's his MO is to try to draw you in. To be he's alluring. Gonna draw, he's going to draw this kid into his mouth. Kind of like that <laughs> idea of like that, which is most familiar is also most terrifying, but also alluring. Right. At the same time. So at first he's like stranger danger. Right? Yeah. Like, cause it's a 80. No. So he's stranger dangering. Um, we need to talk about that. How this one was set in the eighties. Right. And not in the, right. So the original, so the book, um, some of you may know, but the book was set in the, the kids were in the fifties and the adults were in the eighties. Um, the movies, they moved everything up. So the kids were in the eighties and the adults are now in like present time. Um, so Georgie, we all know, gets his arm not off, uh, gets pulled down the sewer and, and becomes uh, Pennywise food. Um, nom nom. Feeds, feeds the it. Uh, then we flash forward. We're like 18 months. Is it 18 months? 18 months, I think. Um, anyway, we're at school in, Last Dairy, day of school in Dairy. And then we meet all of our cast of characters, right? So we have Bill. He's our stuttering, nice brother uh, to Georgie. Made him a boat. He's he's our very like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's kind of he's kind of our leader, responsible I guess. older brother. He figure. kind of becomes the leader. Um, then we have Beverly. Um, she is in the first scenes of the movie. She's called a slut. She's called trash by by these bitchy friends. Greta, who's the daughter of the pharmacist, um, she gets trash dumped on her head in school. Uh, just gross scene, and she's she's called Beaverly because they're Aww. trying to make her out to be this big slut. Um, just the outcast. She's, she's smoking cigarettes in, in the, in the bathroom. Then we have Ben. Ben's the new kid. He's the fat kid. Uh, listens to new kids on the block, which is not going to get you a lot of friends um, in, you know, whatever junior high or, uh, and, but he does him and I love that. He does him. He does him. That's cool. Um, then we have Stanley. Stanley's Jewish. He's a rabbi's son, uh, but, but can't even recite the Torah. So not a very good rabbi's son. Um, then we have Eddie. Eddie's got our overbearing mom who's also extremely overweight. And Stephen King spends a lot of time talking about how grotesquely overweight she is. Cause he loves to give just very long descriptive terms about weight. He's mm. got a weight thing. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, we should, we should go into that. Like should, why? Yeah. I don't know why that is. Um, and nipples and he loves nipples. Yeah. Yeah. He loves descriptive like descriptive, long nipples? descriptive talk about nipples long and nipples leading nipples. to emotions. I don't know what that is about either. Huh? Um, <laughs> which comes up in the new movie. Cause that's the seed of emotions that we just saw is the nipples. And then we have Richie. Uh, Richie is trash mouth. Everybody's favorite character. Trash mouth. He's our loud mouth. He's funny. That's me. Um, I'm trash mouth. He's the defense mechanism comic. Yeah. Right. Hey. Um, and then we have Mike. Mike's the African American kid homeschooled. Um, not, you know, kind of the last to join the group. Uh, yeah, I think he was new in town too, wasn't he? No, no, he no, was no, the homeschool no, he kid. That's right. he's, he's been around a long time because that's right. His parents, his dad, yeah. Dad dealt with, um, uh, some of the tragedies. Um, and then we have Henry Bowers and his band of bullies, um, that are just a bunch of asshole, a bunch, a bunch of, a bunch of assholes. <laughs> we can get through this episode, Chris. We I can do we it. Can. We can do it. Um, yeah, so a bunch of assholes. So that's kind of our main core group of losers, right? Outside of Pennywise, who's our it creature, which we'll talk about. You know, we'll talk about later as to what that is exactly. But tell us a little bit about our, our cast of characters and what is psychologically what are all these guys going through? We also call these guys our 
so Bill, Beverly, Ben, Stanley, Eddie, Richie, and Mike are what we call the Losers Club. Yeah. Right? Because those are the they all get together and form this band of of merry uh dysfunctional misfits. misfits. Yeah. Um, and one thing that's shared by all of them and also the community at large is this idea of uh, shared traumas and what each of them does in terms of coping or repressing or acknowledging or taking action against letting the trauma or abuse cycle in their own lives and also in their town uh, continue. So, for instance, when we look at Bill, um, does it in the book talk about why Bill stutters? Like what might have uh, caused his stuttering? Uh, I don't think it does because I'm pretty sure he stuttered before Georgie's death. Yeah. So I think it was just something that he had. Like my okay. dad, my dad was a stutterer growing up. Big time. Still stutters every now and then. Like even now, he'll still get caught up on an S or something. I was just but when he was a kid, he was very it was like debilitating. It was a big deal. Yeah. So I think it's just something that he had. Okay. I was just curious very if very common, that very was... educated people or people who are very intelligent who think highly intelligent. They yeah. think before they their their mind is moving too fast for their lips. Right. Um, so Bill and he really his fears uh, ultimately boil down to the fear of um, addressing his own grief about the responsibility of Georgie's death. Right. Like, was I responsible for this? Should I have done more? Could I have done more? Um, really carrying around that weight. So that's this this burden that he kind of carries throughout the story. Um, By the way, we're kind of answering these, these, this question because of our podcast. This is what we want to talk about. We want to talk about what makes these guys afraid. Right. It's like our, and because this whole movie is about fear. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's very fear. But this I is did a per, not this is a really perfect movie for what we are, t- what we talk about. I did not time. realize what this movie was truly about. Um, when it was, when, when I've seen it before, or not seen it before, but like when I had heard of it before, I didn't realize that it was really about trauma. And so psychological. Yeah. yeah it had so, so much about how how everything preys upon our, you know, insecurities. How your and our fears, fears and, prey upon your insecurities and on, um, you know, on dividing you from other people and making you feel alone because then it can really feed on you. So and tell us about you, Beverly. Um, sorry. So Beverly, um, her fear, or I'm going to say trauma that she is kind of working through, um, is of course her uh, sexually and physically abusive dad. Um, and emotionally abusive dad. Um, she also is working through the grief of the loss of her mom. Um, and her dad is kind of making her subsume, uh, not subsume, assume the role of, of the wife. Right. Um, it even gets very, even more creepy in the book. Yeah. Too. I know there's a lot about like smelling her and her they did that. And I know some of that was, 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 was in the, in the movies as well. Yeah. And so then we look at Eddie. Eddie's is of course, um, his mom's uh, codependency, not codependency, um, enmeshment with him because his dad actually left them. Um, and so she is very enmeshed in him and very preoccupied with him becoming ill. I'm not sure. Did he leave or did he get sick and die? I'm not sure. So what did they say he died of cancer? Cancer. Yeah. Cancer was, I think so. Um, and so he too is dealing with some grief and the mom is dealing with her grief reaction, which looks like being overprotective and controlling and trying to kind of head off the disease of the past. She's what was that, that show that was so popular on, on, um, Hulu recently about the, the mom who, who 
over medicated her daughter and all that stuff. Who, oh, oh gosh. What was that called? I cannot remember the name of it. Me either. But that's that's what and Munchausen. Munchausen, basically, right? I mean, that's what this mom had because she kept going to, and, and, and the book kind of draws that out more than the movies even do. But she was she was making up diagnoses for him and making sure that he was medicated for them. And that's why the pharmacist was like, I'm just going to give him placebos because yeah. he doesn't have any of this shit. Exactly. Um, and so that, that was kind of something that was his trauma. We may not think of that as trauma, but trauma means a lot of different things to a lot of people. I don't know. That's people. pretty traumatic to me. I, I would be traumatized, but that might not be like the first thing we think of, you know, when we think of trauma, we don't think of like, Oh, my mom, you know, overly took me to the doctor's office when really, when we look further at the purpose behind it and also the damage that it does to the child and the, the child's psyche and the child's right. ability to well, trust. We see it as he got older, you know, in the second movie and stuff, but we also see that in the book. He's, he's constantly trying to, you know, still, still doing the same stuff. Yep. We right, see still, those same patterns. Still dealing with the same thing, like medicating himself and feels like he has all these afflictions and ailments. Well, and, and also it, it he's it, a risk management guy. It colored the way that he chose his career. And we do see that with the other members of the losers. And I can't club. remember if that was actually in the book or not, but I don't know either. But, but I've never read it. It was a nice uh nice take in the movie. I can't remember if it was um, in the book. So so far, lots of grief, right? Loss of family, loss of um, independence, loss of control, loss of um, primary caregivers. Um, then we see Ben. Ben comes in. Um, he is really the most uncomfortable in his own skin. And that kind of is his trauma, is that he is so uncomfortable in his own skin. Even though he knows who he is, he knows he's a good person. He knows he's sweet. He knows he likes new kids on the block. He knows <laughs> very he's, intelligent. He's, he's very he's intelligent. Researching, you know, crazy. I, I, I relate the most to Ben. Right. Because he's like into history and he's into researching stuff way beyond his ears. Like right. I used to do that stuff like in junior high, I was like reading weird long academic texts because I liked them. I really right. enjoyed like weird stuff, like weird research on historical things. And, and so that, that made him just a little bit different and a little bit outside. And I think that's the thing that he struggled with um, coming back in through his adulthood still is that idea that he still felt uncomfortable in his own body and his, in his own self, even though he knew who he was. Um, so that was kind of his trauma that he worked works through during this story. Richie. What do we have for Richie? Um, Richie trash mouth. Um, his, uh, I mean, in, in the movie, it appears to be his repressed sexuality. Right. And I think in the books, um, it was kind of alluded to, and there's always been this, like, did Richie really have the hots for Eddie, um, uh, kind of thing. It was never explicitly said, but, I think the movie kind of made it more explicit um, that the Richie character, that was what was going on. Was Which that is, he, was, he was really dealing with this repressed kind of uh, homosexuality and his feelings towards Eddie or maybe bisexuality. I, who knows, but you know, feelings towards somebody, his sexuality in general. Um, and then the bullies called him a faggot and all right. these things and all these words. Right. Um, that, so there was, there was something there. And I think that was in the book as well was there was this like, uh, sense that that maybe that was what was going on but nobody was really sure because it wasn't explicitly laid out right and i think too beyond that we can also um see that richie's richie's um how he copes with his trauma is through humor 
he defense is, mechanism comic. Yeah, he is. I don't know he anything about that. Is the jester, and I find it really funny that his fear is the clown. In the movies, I don't remember that in the books. I think in the books he he was. I think he was the one that got attacked by the werewolf wow. as his fear. Interesting, because he went. I think they went to go see a werewolf movie. And I think it was a werewolf that was his first kind of thing, but I could be wrong. There could be a part in there where he also talks about fear of being afraid of clowns too. But I liked the, that they did that in the movie. Yeah. I found it really interesting. Cause it was, it I was could be totally wrong. I could be forgetting. It was a holding. Big, it's a big ass long book. I'm not sure if you know, but it's 1128 <laughs> pages. It was holding a mirror to, to Richie and saying, you know, you are the clown. Do you, right. do you Which like makes this more about sense. you? So if Stephen King didn't write that in the book, he probably should have. Yeah. So that's always a good, I didn't like somebody. the ending anyways. So. <laughs> um, but, and then we have, uh, Mike who, um, again, grief and responsibility for uh, his parents' death. Um, in the movie, in the movie. Cause that did not appear in the book. That was definitely something that was a difference between the book and the movie was, uh, Mike's parents in the book, were Mike was a uh, his dad had survived the the fire arson at the black, at the at the black, black spot, spot, which was a, a nightclub for for like African Americans that was torched by the KKK back when when I almost said twisty back when Pennywise was doing all of his his uh, his stuff twenty seven years ago right um, but his dad had survived and his parents had survived they weren't dead and his dad actually uh, was. Uh, like picked fights with Henry Bauer's dad. And there was this whole storyline about Mike's dad. So I thought it was kind of weird that they made Mike's parents, these like supposed like crackheads who had killed them, who had, who had died in a fire and he was the only survivor. And then he got adopted as opposed in the, to in the movie. That was a, that was a whole, that as opposed to out. a more racially tense, um, you know, representation where somebody intentionally, which is more consistent with um, the themes that we see in dairy when Pennywise comes around right. is that there's right. interpersonal see all of these violence. things going on in the city and right. the town and stuff. I thought it was kind of weird that they changed Mike's story that way. But really this orphan either way, like Mike's trauma is, is his generational um, racial trauma sure. that he's experienced. Sure. So that's his trauma that he's, he's carrying. an outsider. He's an outsider. He's, he's the homeschooled kid too. So he's not going to school. Um, you know, with everybody else. And so he's kind of this outsider kid and he's also, the black kid, you know, in a predominantly white neighborhood and all those kind of things. Um, sure. And then last but not least was Stan and Stan was kind of the last one that I was able to put my finger on what might be his kind of trauma or thing that he's carrying around that Pennywise can capitalize on. And we talked about it today. And finally, I, I think I've kind of come to realize that his, his trauma was that pre fear feeling. He was so afraid. He was of afraid of being afraid. Being afraid. Yeah, and he was, was so of afraid of unpredictability. Um, and, and I know he that. He was kind of a perfectionist. I think he wanted to be, like, he felt like he had to yeah. fix everything around him or be like, or not put himself in a position that might not be. It had to be highly predictable. Everything right. in his life had to be right. predictable. I mean, in the movie they're talking, it, he and his wife are in the second part are talking about how uh, she's like, Oh, are you sure you want to take this trip? I know it's spur of the moment, you know, like, okay, I'm buying it. We're fucking wild. Yeah, you we're know, going, we're going crazy. Yeah. yeah. Going he's, crazy. He, he, he's, he's a, he, his environment is completely. His dad wants tied him, up. wanted him to be this, this very, 
uh, strict Jewish, you know, upbringing. And he apparently had not been very good at reading the Torah and doing the things he was supposed to do to get ready for his bar mitzvah and all of these things. So you see a lot of that kind of, kind of very strict kind of stringent, uh, moral upbringing that I think maybe affected him as well. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he truly craves predictability and that's a problem when you consider that its main function is to be unpredictable and to be subjective and to be um, ambiguous and, and to cause those feelings. And to, so to have an entity that in itself is prepared to cause you that anxiety is terrifying if you come at it from Stan's standpoint and from his kind of um, fear of of dropping the ball or fear yeah. of unpredictability, fear of not being ready, you know? Um, and so we see all these heavy trauma themes. Um, we also know that when it comes to trauma, repetition breeds familiarity. So these things from childhood get repeated over and over these patterns. And then we tend to, as we're familiar with them, um, find things in our adult lives that are synchronous with those things and kind of repeat the cycle because those things are familiar to us. Even if they're harmful, at least they're familiar. So these cycles repeat um, mostly in part two is when we kind of see them um, repeating in the, the adult world. But we see how Pennywise takes advantage of each one of their own individual subjective traumas um, and also uses it to divide the group from each other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the whole point of this, right? That this, this is a, this is a, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A allegory, an allegory enemy, a metaphor, an enemy. I'm trying to think about Pennywise. What would you call Pennywise? Pennywise is, is the, the, the antagonist, right? Yeah. Of this, that, that this enemy. And, and then what his, he preys on fear. That's the point of, you know, he talks about how children taste better when they're afraid. So he has evolved over these billions of years, um, to fuck with them, to figure out the best way to make them scared. Right. So that's, that's the best way to make them afraid. Um, if you don't know it, the it creature is a, is an alien. It's an ancient alien. Um, it's this monster. Um, and, and it, it came to earth billions of years ago or a billion years ago or whatever, um, on a spaceship and landed on earth and then became part of this kind of ecosystem and appears every 27 years to feed and then goes back into to whatever uh, hibernation. I and guess. he, and he is absolutely a metaphor for the way that traumas transform in our lives. And they tend to linger um, often hiding kind of disguising in the monotony of everyday life until something triggers them, sure. the awakening, sure. something wakens them up and they come back to feed on your emotions and flood your, your brain with all of these old feelings. So we see, and we're, we're going, we're just going to be a long episode and we apologize already in advance. Um, but we see in this first movie, we see these, these, this band of young kids, um, by the way, Richie who plays, or I mean, uh, 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 what's his name? Finn Wolfhard. Finn Wolfhard, um, who plays Richie. 
fucking great. Also like, a great porn name. Um, Sophia, <laughs> it would be a great porn name. Um, Sophia Lillis, who plays Bev, also really, really Fantastic. good. Honestly, every kid role is really well done. Yeah. Like, they, the kids outact the adults from part two. Like, whoo. They knocked it out. The first one knocked it, out of the park. knocked it out of the park. For sure. In terms of telling the story and it kind of gearing it up. Although when we get to part two, we'll kind of talk about maybe what we wish they would have added in the first one. Yeah. And I think so. So, you know, we're not gonna be able to get through like walking through this movie, but, but we see these kids going through, you know, most of you have probably seen it. Um, and if you haven't go see it and, and check it out and, and then you'll know the storyline, but they go through this, this bonding experience where they're dealing with the bullies at school. Um, they're dealing with, their own individual fears that Chris just talked about. They're dealing with, uh, and then they are dealing with this entity, this alien, this thing that's coming at them and presenting them all individually with their fears. Right. So we see, uh, we see, you know, Eddie, who's the, the hypochondriac, uh, you know, Pennywise comes to him as a leper yeah, because he's, he's, cause that's, that's like the dirtiest possible thing that, you know, Eddie could probably possibly come in contact with. Right. So he comes as a leper first and then he shows him his, his form as, as Pennywise. Um, he comes to, uh, Bill as like his brother, right. Yeah. Draws him in as Georgie. Right. And then, and then appears to him. Um, he comes to Richie as a, as, um, uh, as a clown, yeah. right. Cause he's scared of clowns in, yep. the, in the, in the movie. Um, he comes to Stanley as what do you come to Stanley as? Um, I kind of I don't remember. Oh, oh, Stanley um, uh, was the lady. The, gosh, my I, that was my the scariest, horrible lady. That was my scary one. The scariest one for me in the first movie was was the lady in the picture. Um, the very creepy kind of surrealist, right? And you had an interesting take on that. You thought that was because she just is not quite right. So he didn't like it because she's surreal. She's very not the way she's supposed That's to be. That's where I got kind of the idea that maybe Stan's thing is, is order and disorder, um, you know, in terms of his kind of traumatic. Um, when he walks into his dad's library, what's the first thing he the does? The first thing is he looks at a picture and he adjusts it so that it's straight. And then he steps back and he makes sure it's straight. So it was like, he's very like buttoned up. You yeah. Know? He needed, he and needed then that, to make sure it was like, he was like, had that like OCD a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And, and that woman, perfect. her face was distorted and disorganized. It wasn't right. And it, it wasn't the was way it's not to be. right. So I'm wondering if that's that's how they kind of, or if that's how it was kind of meant to be. Yeah, and you know it's funny. I I've not heard that that perspective. I think that's spot on. I mean, it really is. Um, and then, you know, he comes to Mike. Uh, comes to Mike as as the first time Mike sees him was as a clown too, mm-hmm. uh, as he's getting beat up by the bullies. Um, in the, in, and that was one of my favorite parts when, when Bill Skarsgård waves the arm of Georgie, yeah. <laughs> of Georgie. at, at him at and has this big ass <laughs> smile on his face. Um, and then he comes to, he comes to Bev, um, mostly in the form of her dad, yeah. um, or as, as blood. The, the blood and the, the stuff that comes up in the bathroom. That was the first time she had the experience of of all of those things. And she experiences this crazy scene, right? Where the blood comes up out of the sink, covers the entire bathroom. Dad comes in and doesn't see any of it. He's just like, what's going on? What's what's wrong with you? Because there is a very big, important point about the adults versus the kids in this town. The adults 
whether it's the grasp of, of the entity or what it is, but uh, they don't see what's going on. And then they actually turn a blind eye. They refuse to, to, to acknowledge it. Yeah. And I don't know if it's whether it's, it's a kind of a commentary about kind of the sins, again, the sins of the father kind of going on to the children, that kind of idea. Um, but we definitely see multiple times where things are taking place right in front of the adult's eyes and they are willfully shutting the door and making sure that they are not acknowledging it. Yeah. Um, and we see that that's influenced by, by it, by the creature. Um, some, in some scenes like, like the one where Ben is getting Henry is carved. the, 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 the bully is carving into Ben's stomach. Right. And the car drives by and the, and the people just, just turn away and don't pay attention. And then the balloon, not comes my up problem the, balloon comes up in the back seat. So we know that they're influenced by this evil. Well, we know that they're perpetuating the, the cycle too. Yeah. you know, they're, they're behaving from a place of fear that has disconnected them from the ability to want to help in any of those situations. Yeah. They would rather just, Nope, not today. Satan. Uh, there, there's a quote that Bill says, dairy is it. And it is dairy. Oh, damn. So that's the concept, right? That the town has been taken over by this entity and that the adults have turned a blind eye to all of the crazy shit that's going on. The fact that these kids are all missing all the time and there's, there's just violence and there's hatred, racism, racism, um, you know, bullying, homophobia, all of these, these, these things that are going on, hate crimes and all this stuff. Well, and that kind of, that connects to everybody on a very regressive and raw level. It hits right where many of us have been hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So obviously we're not gonna be able to get through all of the first movie and kind of synops, you know, giving the synopsis of it, but basically the kids battle the creature, right? They, they battle the bullies, they battle the creature, they battle their own demons at home. And then ultimately at the end, we see this like, temporary victory over Pennywise the clown. Right. right. They think they've kind of beaten, beaten it down and kind of battled it into its own lair again. Yeah. But they also, you know, they come out and this is where we go, we go into our preteen orgy. That, oh, uh, we talked mm -hmm. about at the beginning. Um, that, doesn't, that. that doesn't happen in the movies. Um, but in the book, um, they are down in the, in the sewers and they're trying to get out. Um, and for some reason, Bev decides she needs to have sex with all of them. Uh, everybody in the losers club. What the fuck Stephen King um, to, to win the battle to, against, to, against solid, to solidify but, uh, but again, like their transition to adulthood. It's symbolic, right? Because we see this, like there's a, there's a lot of emphasis on childhood to adulthood, um, you know, loss of innocence, yeah. you know, and this is kind of symbolic of that. Um, but then what we see in the movies is they come out and they have this like blood oath, mm -hmm. right? They, they take this blood oath, uh, they cut their hands and they make the pact. the pact with each other that they are going to, if they, if this ever comes back, we're going to come back here and we're going to take care of it. Which is really interesting. Cause like, if you think about actual trauma, if you did that, like, okay, if this ever comes back up for us, we will all come together and address this together. This yeah. trauma. That's like, that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, and then, and then, because they know, right? They they know that they're the ones who have battled this thing 
probably more than anybody else has. And they, they know that if this comes back up into this town, nobody's, we're just going to see more missing children. We're going to see more. Well, it's just the cycle is going to repeat more, itself. The cycle is going to repeat, right? It's repeated for, they've figured out this cycle is repeated for generation and generation, and generation. So they have taken it upon themselves to come be the, the, the crusaders that are going to snuff this thing out next time around. Right. And there is a theory that it, although it was here billions of years ago, that it was not capable of uh, truly existing or, or being active until humans came around because humans have the relational aspect and also well, how did it feed and also the ability um, to to feel fear beyond just like a, like a startle. Well, but reaction. it doesn't say that he has to have fear. He doesn't right. have to have fear to eat. He just likes it better. Yeah. It just tastes, it tastes better. better. It tastes better when they're fearful. Makes the meat taste better. That's right. That's what he says. So, you know, I wonder how he ate before, you know, and, and again, we're talking some coked out yeah. Stephen King stuff here um, that involved, there was a, there was a brother that he had uh, that this it, it creature had that was a turtle um, named Mat Maturin, Maturin. Something like that. Um, that comes up in some of his other novels as well, in the Dark, Dark Tower series. Um, that you know is like the antithesis of he it. Barfed he's out he's the like world. the good. It's like the good versus evil. It's like God and Satan kind of concept. Yin and Yang. Um, that comes into play in the book as well, which I thought was going to come into play some in the uh, second movie. But Everybody it did not. said that the second movie was so bonkers, and I'm like, fuck yeah, we're going to see some, some weird turtle shit. And there was like one turtle reference. Yeah, and it was. Yeah. There's more turtle references I think in the first one. Yeah, right. Chapter one. Um, so, so yeah, so let's, let's get into, so we end, we end the movie with, with the with blood oath, Pennywise crawling back into the well, kind of falling apart a little bit, going down into the sewers, falling apart a little bit, definitely took a shot, you know, the losing kids, his power, losing some of his power. Cause the kids took back their, you know, basically weren't afraid of him right. and was stood up to, to him, had this, this moment, um, and then took this oath, and then we we kind of see these this this movie, end, and we set ourselves up for for chapter two. Um, so let's let's dive into it, the new movie, because I know that's what everybody just went and saw this week. Um, really enjoyed it. Went and saw it last night. Uh, so let's play the trailer for uh, it, chapter two, two thousand nineteen. Something happens to you when you leave this town. The farther away, the hazier it all gets. But me, I never left. I remember all of it. We made an oath. I swear. If it isn't dead, if it ever comes back, we'll come back to you. We didn't stop it. Pennywise. The clown. <laughs> we can't let it happen again. Hello. Please. 
So this, the long-awaited second chapter uh, of this movie came out this week. Uh, we ran out and saw it with some friends last night. I'm still processing it. Um, I really have struggled with this episode, and you've probably heard that, um, that we're struggling a little bit with this episode because there's a lot to cover here. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack. And, and we normally go kind of step-by-step step through these movies, but we just can't do that with these like we just have to kind of talk about them as, as a whole and then kind of dive into like the fear stuff and the clowns, you know, we haven't really even talked about Pennywise as a clown that much. Um, Although that's not really the point. It's not really the point. It isn't Um, because Pennywise takes on multiple different glitter. It's the thing that, the thing that he realized was the thing that's going to scare the kids the most, but it's not really, but it also draws them in, you know, it's almost like the safest thing. So let's talk real quick though. Pennywise as a clown. What do you think? What do you think uh, about Pennywise as a clown? Bill Skarsgård's clown versus Tim Curry's clown. Let's put this shit on the board right now. Uh, in chapter one, um, the recent one, absolutely my favorite version of Pennywise. I, I, chapter two had a lot more CGI as opposed to just Bill Skarsgård and his face and his wacky eyeball yeah. and kind yeah. of just his mannerisms and kind of him relating you know, under the under the bleacher scene where he's relating to that girl and kind of drawing her in, that was very familiar, like the Georgie scene. And that felt very genuine and and creepy as opposed to all the CGI. But I also understand the development of their their trauma and their trauma reaction well, grows takes those, over those, time. Those various different forms and does a lot of different stuff, which we see in the first one too. But I agree. There wasn't enough Bill Skarsgård in this one. I think, I think there could have been a lot more. I just wanted to see like just him, you know, interacting with these, these folks. So we have, we have the, the, the first one is about the kids. Second one's about the adults. Still got a lot of kids in the second one. There's a lot of flashbacks. Um, but we have, we have, uh, we have these, these, these guys, they've lived, they've gone off and they've done their own thing. Right. So we have, we've got Richie who is now, uh, a stand-up comedian, right? I think in the original book he's a DJ, which I kind of wish they had kept. Like, why couldn't they just make him like a freaking morning a, a morning shock like, jockeys are guy. not like a whole like really super huge nowadays but though, right? Richie was a morning zoo fucking DJ. Yeah, like, he was. I, I wish they had kind of left mouth. that because it was perfect. Like, I kind of wish they had kept him as like a shock jock or something. Yeah, like he's that. the one that wouldn't be afraid um, to say. But anything. they made him into a uh, Bill Hader played him, and he played him amazingly so good wonderful job um i have two 
performances that I thought were fantastic. Bill Haders was wonderful. Jessica Chastain's was also very, very good. Absolutely. Um, everybody's been raving about James McAvoy. I was not that impressed. What do you call um, him? Poor man's Jeremy Renner. That's true. Um, <laughs> he's poor man's Jeremy Renner. Um, not that I dislike him in any way, but I just don't think he was that great. I, I thought there was him and Mike and uh, Ben was uh, okay. Um, you know, they, there was, there was a lot of overacting. Yeah. Um, I, I felt like, and honestly, they may not have been their fault. It felt like the script was just did not lend itself to like, it, it was so much shoved into this. Movie. There would, there would be, um, I think a better opportunity to show, to showcase the irrational desire in, in them to kind of relive their trauma unknowingly in their adult lives because they don't remember the trauma, but yet somehow they're still repeating these patterns in their adult sure. lives. I think there could have been a more succinct way to explain that, but that's where it comes in that we kind of talked about last night when we feel like maybe part one needed a few other things to make part two more cohesive. Yeah. But when they started making part two, they went, you know what? We fucking forgot. We should put this in part We need one. this. Yeah. It felt we like, need that. Yes. So now we got it. Like yes. the first part of it felt like, like I, it felt like I was Stephen King on cocaine well, it writing so, it. It was, it was so, back and it was, forth. It was just disjointed. really cohesive and it really flowed. The really first well. one. First one. Second one. My first impressions, and I, I, I say this with this, this, uh, this caveat, I really did enjoy it, and I, and I will absolutely watch it again, and I absolutely do recommend it. But my first impressions, very long, too long, too long, felt too long. You should have either made it a three part or it really cut could it. have been a three part for sure. Um, melodramatic. There was parts of it that just felt so melodramatic, overacted. Script was a little bit. Eh, Tried to be okay. too funny. Um, and, and it tried to, yeah, it was too many jokes, which really drowned it out. It drowned it out the tension. It drowned. Yeah. And that tension, there is was like, good jokes. I enjoyed the levity. I liked the comedy, but it was too much. Right. And that, and that kind of is, is very, um, in opposition to the idea that when you're dealing with your traumas, humor is of course a good way to kind of process your trauma. Well, I think they did that a lot of it because of it, it's going to bring more people for to sure. Watch it, but right? at the it's same, not, not but at the same time, it took away from the value in making us all uncomfortable with their journey through their trauma. Well, it's the tension again. Like it's I said, that the tension. tension. It's the tension that you have in a horror movie or in a, or in a, uh, a suspenseful movie where you're building that up. They cut it too many times with humor. Right. So it cut that out and then you don't have that build up as right. much. Um, but we'll start with that, right? A little bit of our feeling about it, but we open the movie with Adrian Mellon, the Adrian Mellon story, which is, is uh, how the book kind of opens up. It's one of the first few chapters of the book. Um, we see Adrian Mellon and Don, Don Haggerty who are a, a, a gay couple and they're at the, the town fair. Right. And they start getting picked on by, you know, some freaking some bullies, some hate filled trash people, trash people. So we'll, we'll call them hate filled trash, people. hate filled trash people. Those um, are the worst. And they get beat up and Adrian gets tossed over the bridge into the river. Um, and then Pennywise fishes him out and eats him in front of in the movie. It's in front of Don. Um, and then we see all these balloons come up under the bridge, which was very faithful to the book, um, which I thought was really interesting. So it was a really interesting start. And I think it was great because it, set the scene for, again, this town, it is dairy, right? Dairy, this evil, or it, this evil entity is the town of dairy. And it, it, 
has its tentacles into all of these various things that go on, all the hate and all the, he has a very deep reach. Um, so Mike gets wind of this, right? And he goes, Oh shit. It's back bitches. Call up the troops. Mike is the only one who has stayed in town out of all of the losers, right? In the losers club. Mike is the only one that stuck around, right? And he's the town librarian. And there's something to be said about that because he, he cannot, because he is in the town, he cannot avoid the trauma right. of this and he experience. Can't forget. He cannot He's the forget. only one that hasn't forgotten. Everything Everybody else reminds him of it. That's right. Everybody else has forgotten. And there's something about uh, the, the kind of supernatural element of this, right? Or whatever it is that, that has not necessarily supernatural, but whatever this alien entity has over dairy, it'll, it has not allowed Mike to forget and has allowed everybody else to forget almost everything, which is very symbolic. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so then we have the phone calls from Mike, right? Mike starts calling up the losers club, calls up Richie, Richie. It's back, bud. Richie pukes, Eddie, Eddie, man, it's back. Eddie gets in a car wreck. Bill's working on a movie set. Bill, it's back, bud. Bill starts stuttering again. Wife's going, what the fuck, bud? Calls up Stan. Stan goes upstairs, slices his wrists, writes it on the wall. Stan's dead. Uh, Calls up Ben. Ben's hot. That's kind of all Ben does. He's just hot. (laughs) Just a good looking dude now, apparently. I don't even remember what Ben did. He just got kind of flustered, flustered in his hotness. Um, but he's, he was fat Ben turned into hot Ben. Um, and he's now a contractor architect, um, calls up Bev and Bev is running this very successful clothing line with her husband, but her husband is dad 2.0. Yeah. He's beating her and Eddie's and Eddie's wife is Eddie's mom (laughs) 2.0. Yeah. Well, and Eddie, yeah. And Eddie's, Eddie's wife is, yeah. Uh, it's just like his mom. Um, Bev, Bev gets, just a beating from her husband. He takes out the belt, starts beating her. She finally gets, gets away. It was tough to watch that scene. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, but that's Bev, you know, again, it shows these, these cycles, the recurrent cycle of trauma stayed in the cycle of trauma and they're, and they're they're, They have still latched. They still have those fear that those fears and those, those same things kind of latching onto their lives. Even if we don't remember it, you know, that irrational desire to relive the past trauma and repair the past trauma is, is in order to understand and move beyond it is how they gain their power, but they can't because they've forgotten the trauma altogether. So it's lying dormant deep inside of them. Just right. waiting. They don't even realize why it is that they are the adults that they are. Right. Because they've forgotten all of these things that have happened to them yeah. that they, that they experienced growing up that we saw, you know, in the first, in the first movie. Um, that, that really made it so that the past informed their future. So then we, we get to, they all come back to dairy. They all make the decision. We're coming back to dairy. They, they made this oath. They all come back. Um, and they meet at the Chinese restaurant for dinner. They gather around, they kind of catch up a little bit. Then they all agree that, you know, it has returned. Nobody's, everybody's fuzzy about the details about what, what happened to them when they were children. Um, and then we have this scene at the end of dinner where, where they, they've kind of decided that they're all going to try to, to try to, Richie's a little unsure. He's like, wants to head back. He doesn't think this is a good idea. Uh, fuck you guys. I'm tired. I don't want to deal with this shit. 
Um, but then at the end of the dinner, we have the fortune cookies crack open, which I've forgotten from the miniseries that it was in the miniseries too, this scene. But the fortune cookies crack open, which is one of the really good scenes so good. in this movie. Um, and we've got the stuff coming out of the fortune cookies. Uh, weird shit, like a ba- the baby bug, a bug with like oh, a baby so face that was on super it. Super creepy. Uh, and then an eyeball, um, all this stuff, which a lot of this was very similar to what was in the book. Uh, great scene. Really good stuff. But immediately these guys go, go, oh shit. It's back. It's doing stuff to us. It's causing us to see things um, that are not really there. And I don't like it. Um, so they go back to the hotel room and Mike says, hey guys, time for you guys to go on your personal scavenger hunt um, to go find. I need you guys to go find a relic so that we can kind of go through this ancient ritual and get rid of the ritual of chewed and get rid of this thing once and for all. Right. So they all have to go out and find an artifact that kind of represents their, their childhood. It's it's something that Pennywise in the beginning, you know, it's a little bit unclear. No, it's, it's something that, um, triggers those same emotions from a time period that was very traumatic for each of them. So this is where we get, this is where we were talking about this. This is where I feel like they shoved in a bunch of stuff into this area of the movie that really should have been in the first movie, Mm -hmm. but they were like, Oh shit, we didn't, we didn't put it in there. So now we have to, we've got to explain that. Now we got to force it into here. So now we have these montage of these guys running around town um, and they're all kind of ostensibly just MacGuffins, which are just scenes that are just, they're just there to keep the plot in motion, but don't really have any like value in right. themselves. Um, except to show us how they go get their little, oh, well, and their, right? and their individual battles with right. their traumas. And, and don't get me wrong again, fun scenes. Probably my favorite scenes in the movie are in these montages, which we have, we have Bev going out to the apartment that she used to live in with the old woman, which we all saw in the trailers. And you did not like the, old I woman. did not. So what they didn't show in the trailer, they showed the old woman and they showed some of the scenes from there. Right. But they did not show the fucking creature she turned into. And I did not like it at all. The old woman with that was titties? fucking terrifying. I did not like it. Probably my absolute of, of this entire movie franchise. My scariest moment was the, was the old lady. I did not like the old lady or the thing she turned into. <laughs> Not a fan at all. Um, and then we have, and she, she, her artifact was the postcard that she had kept in the wall. The one that the, the January embers yeah. postcard that Ben had written to her. The poem. Uh, the poem. So then we have Ben. Ben goes to school. Um, and I kind of can't remember exactly what Ben's. His is the notebook was. page that Beverly wrote. I know it was a notebook page, but what was his monster? What came after him? Do you remember? I think it was a mummy. Or was something. it a mummy? Because there was a mummy when he was younger, too. Maybe. Maybe that's what it was. And then he gets into the locker, and then Pennywise shows up in the locker. Yeah. Because right? Pennywise always shows up at some point. Um, or turns into, you know, goes from the, whatever their fear-based creature is to himself as his favorite character. Um, and then we have Bill. Bill goes to the sewer, of course, where Georgie was killed. Um Pennywise appears or whatever and gets, he gets the boat and the boat is his thing. Um, and then we have Eddie Eddie goes back to the pharmacy, the pharmacy where he gets all of his meds that his mom's crazy mom makes him get. Uh, and he gets his inhaler and then goes downstairs to the basement. And there's this scene where his mom's tied up and the leper shows up. 
right? So his leper, the leper. From and he childhood. feels like he has to rescue her. Right. He has to rescue his mom, which again, yeah. Talk about psychology, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, there's feels, so much. He feels, he feels responsible. responsible for his mom. Um, even though his mom has always been this, this very, um, controlling. Is it codependent? Is that helicopter? Is, is it a codependent relationship? No, it's enmeshed. It's yeah. an enmeshed relationship. So then we have Richie and Richie goes to the arcade where he used to play street fighter or whatever. Um, and pick up on dudes sees this. Yeah. And, and, and he made, I guess in the movie, that was the, uh, in the movie, he makes a pass, kind of makes a pass at a guy or kind of, well, you can tell that have. like he's enjoying his company. Yeah. And, and then, you know, the bullies pick on him and, and call him names and, um, being teased for his sexuality, um, which, you know, he has never really dealt with. And then he goes across the street and he's all bummed out and he sits on the bench um, across from the big Paul Bunyan statue. And then we have our second, my second least favorite uh, or most favorite horror scene in the movie. Which the Tanatomophobia. The, the Paul Bunyan statue coming to life was pretty bad. Yeah, that was kind of gnarly. Stephen King specifically requested that that scene be uh, put Included? into the movie. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. It's pretty, it, I think it's important. I haven't quite figured out why the Paul Bunyan statue is is so connected to him in terms of his fear. Like maybe he does have a fear of, of statues, right? If you have automaton phobia, trigger warning, that um, would be super hard. Like our friend, um, who wrote in like a quite a few episodes Angelica? back. Um, I can't remember what her name was. Um, but she wrote that she had a phobia, and she had, and she was like going to New York city to see in the statue. Of this, this scene would not be, a, no, a, a super big, uncomfortable. She would not be a fan of this scene. So uh, just a warning there if you watch the movie that this this big statue comes to life and tries to eat. Uh, and, and they all have they all have those 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 jaws like like the unhinged jaws. And so if you have, you know, ordontophobia, Yeah. Uh, not going to be a fan of this either um, because teeth. Lots of decay right? and fear of teeth. Um, not good because when Pennywise opens his mouth, he's got like 50 oh, rows so of many. Not cool. Um, so very freaky um, there too. Um, and then Mike, Mike recovers a rock. So, anyways, Richie gets a, a game token. That's what his little little deal is. And then Mike recovers a rock from the fight they had with the bullies mm-hmm. um, initially. So then we go through the movie and we have we've got Henry Bauer showing back up and doing some stuff, doing Pennywise's bidding. Um, we've got. More flashbacks. We've got them ultimately making their way down to Pennywise's lair, right? All this stuff leads up to the great ritual of Chud. 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 Where they think they all throw this stuff in the middle. They think that they have defeated. Like, yeah, it's they done. think they've defeated, you know, the lights, the dead lights show up and they go down into this, this pottery or whatever it is that he's got this basket that uh, Mike has that this this ancient ritual to get rid of this thing and the balloon starts blowing up balloon from starts inside. blowing up inside of it. And we realized, oh, oh, never mind. This didn't work. JK. This was not what was supposed to happen. LMAO. R-O-F-L. So then we start going into, then we go into like our kind of similar to the first movie, the back and forth Epic battle in the cave where Pennywise turns into this and then he turns into that. And then he goes into this and then eventually ends up being the spider, which is what we saw in the miniseries and what Blah. we see in the book. His, his, True appearance is as a spider. Now in the book, the spider was kind of, we think it's a female. It starts laying eggs all over the place, uh, which we didn't see in the movies, which could have been kind of fun. Um, And they go around and start killing all the eggs in the book. And that upsets him. Um, 
uh, actually starts killing, hurting him every time they they kill Ooh. some of the babies. Well, that that stops the cycle of Pennywise. You know, that stops yeah. the repeating cycle. It's very um, uh, like reproductive. Yeah, concept. Yeah. Well, and the cycle that exists in dairy is a cycle that is passed down through generations of trauma and of what is right and wrong and how things go and all that stuff. So we end up with, with this kind of final scene where the losers club is kind of doing their thing. They're, they're beating the entity. And then one last stab at Eddie, Eddie gets killed right in uh, Richie's arms. Richie's arms, and we kind of get the sense that oh, Richie really did have this thing for Eddie, a and there's lot this of kind of tender moment. And I, apparently, there was there were going to be more. It was going to be a little bit more involved, even. Um, but we kind of get that sense, right? And then they kill Pennywise ultimately, or the it creature, by just shaming it into this like ball, right? They they show they're not afraid of him. Make him make him small. Right. They make him small by. By defeating their own fears. They made all of their fears and all of their traumas. They addressed them. They faced them. Um, they experienced them again as adults and came through it differently this time than they did during the initial trauma. And that is that is how, how processing trauma works. And they reach into his chest as this little baby pull penny. Out little the baby heart penny of fear. Pull out the heart and then they crush it. Um, which was a which was a kind of a kooky scene. I mean, it was kind of crazy. It was a great allegory. It was a good good allegory. Um, so at the end of the day, um, I read a really 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 good review of this movie. We're gonna kind of tie this up because I think we're at like two hours and blah 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 minutes. Been a long one. I had a feeling this might happen because there's so much here, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, I'm enjoying it. Are you having fun? Mm-hmm. Um, bloody disgusting, um, wrote a really good review of this that I thought nailed it for me. Um, by, uh, it was written by William uh, Bibiani and he said, of course, many of the problems with it chapter two are inherent to the source material, which we know Stephen King is hard to write. Anybody who's ever tried to like adapt, adapt a Stephen King book knows that these are that a lot of times they fall flat because they're hard to adapt. They just are. And I still enjoy every one of them, but they are always very hard to adapt. So a lot of the problems are tough because as they get through the book, they're like, Oh shit, we got to, how are we going to make this into like something coherent that we can wrap up? Um, but in this case, I don't think the faithfulness to the text was a virtue in, in, in this particular case. Right? Sure. I wish they had deviated because, a little bit because it would have made it a little bit more, cohesive and a little bit more watchable. So then he says, of course, many of the problems with it, chapter two are inherent to the source material, but in this case, faithfulness is, Oh, I wrote that down. Um, the second half of the story is just too scattershot and expository. And in the end, a little too cartoonish to have the same overwhelming emotional effect as the previous it as chapter one, mm -hmm. the structure is a hindrance relying on childhood memories that are treated like they're super important now, but which apparently weren't relevant enough to include in the first film. Right. They often play like a selection of mostly scary deleted scenes <laughs> from the first one, from the first one, instead of like valuable contributions to the second half of a narrative, which I thought was really, really good. Like once they put it all together, it might feel a little bit better. Like yeah, if they recut it. I really would love to see them recut it somehow. Yeah. Make it kind of, I don't know if they will, but the re-edited version. Um, and then uh, he ends it this way. He says for all its flaws, 
It Chapter 2 is an exhilarating example of horror filmmakers getting all the free reign they could possibly want. From top flight visual effects to a nearly three hour running time to major stars to truly grotesque violence. The whole film is going damn near overboard, for better or worse. It's easy to admire Muschietti's film for its excess and imagination. It's easy to watch and enjoy it as a fright flick. It's just harder to connect with the adult versions of these characters than it should be. And it's harder to take this story seriously as we did before. Right. And I think that really puts its finger on it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of how I walked away from it. I went, man, I saw a lot of cool shit <laughs> and it was a, and it still kept very true to the story, but it was, it just felt very disjointed. I found, like I found myself imagining what all those characters would do, but just arranged differently. Yeah. You know, like in my yeah. own head after I saw it. Um, so that was, that was it chapter two. Um, I wish we could have really done more, more of a deep dive into kind of more of the details, but I think as far as the psychology went, um, you did a really good job of pulling that out of these movies. And I think that's something that I hadn't read um, a real good breakdown of is each individual character and how they dealt with their fears and their various different, um, you know, phobias and and psychology. Um, So I think that really, maybe we brought something a little different to the table than just breaking down the movie. We're trying to do things, right? Yeah. Um, But we were also in a foggy state of, of, almost near sickness. I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we rambled a bit, I apologize, but um, I really enjoyed this fear of clowns week. Um, two two weeks. weeks, this fear of clowns, two weeks. Uh, I love it. And that always makes it harder to talk about because you want to talk about everything. So much. There's so much we didn't get to that. I wanted to get to. I had eight pages of notes. Holy schmooks. Like, I feel like I should just read, like just do a separate segment where I just literally bonus read episode. My notes. <laughs> Um, that goes through like every part of the movie because there's so much good shit. I mean, we didn't get to talk about, um, gosh, a lot of the little details that I wanted to get to, uh, especially from the last one. Cause we watched that one again today. Um, but Oh, Eddie in the first movie full of clowns when he walks in that room, mm-hmm. um, great fear of clowns, uh, scene. So good. We didn't even get to talk about that one when he walks in and there's just clowns everywhere. Um, that's a good one. Um, we didn't get to talk about Eddie falling through the floor in the first one mm. and breaking oh, and breaking his arm. So we got to no. play. So we get to play this clip. Chris's compound fracture, which is my new favorite clip to play I hate now. You so much. <laughs> I hate you so much. Um, I'm yeah. going to dress up as that old woman with the saggy titties and chase you around this Halloween. Ooh, that sounds kinky. In your nightmares. That sounds kinky. You. Let's get some fear, fear boner going that on. That is not what I was trying to do there. <laughs> All right, feardos and your fear boners. Um, thanks for listening. And uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in every week. Um, we are going to, I think we're going to take a week off. So you're going to be out of town in Seattle this week on business. And I don't think we're going to be able to get an episode out before next Monday. So let's do a week off, which is probably good after this two part series. Um, but I want to tackle in the next episode and we haven't really talked about this, but can we do tripophobia? Yeah. Um, boring holes, boring holes. It'll be our boringest hole. It'll episode be an ever. exciting episode about boring holes. Yeah. And we have a, quite a few friends that have tripophobia. Actually, I'm looking at my microphone right now. Is that not tripophobia? Yeah. And that the over there. 
man, there's a lot of little, there's a lot be of, everywhere. If you had trypophobia, I'm I, sorry, man. Cause there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that is really unsettling. And trypophobia is the fear of what it would concentric call, holes, small concentric holes and bumps. Lacey and said bumps. bumps are a big deal too. Um, so our friend Lacey has that, which you guys know is Lacey, the contrarian. Um, and our friend Randy, um, also has trypophobia. So if you have that phobia, send us an email right into us because I want to hear what movies freak you out because I don't know what movies I'm going to choose yet. So, uh, get on the horn let us know because I'm excited about that one. Cause I don't know much about that phobia. I think it's really interesting. I know I need to do my research. Um, it's going to be a fun one, but we're not going to, we're going to do it the week after next. So, um, stick with us guys. We got more great phobias coming up for you and thanks for listening. And, uh, until next time, stay afraid, stay very afraid. <laughs>